This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by My Shop Club USA. Log on to myscusa.com today and save at the hottest website or shopping club in the U.S. My Shop Club USA, where the deals are simply irresistible. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week it's summer, summer, summer time on Pod Cemetery with. I still know what you did last summer is our classic film from 1998 and our modern film 2017's Revenge. But before we get into the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What actor stars in the 1999 film Stir of Echoes in which a man sees visions after being hypnotized? Kevin Bacon. That's correct. Uh, he and I think it's the same director? From Stir of Echoes are in that new movie. You should have, you sh you should have stayed. You should have brand new. Horror. Apparently, it's not that good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I really like Stir of Echoes. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> Kelsey, yeah, I still know what you did last summer. Is the absolutely bent over backwards, <laughs> strained sequel title to I know what you did last summer, which was a Sort of fun, unique title for a movie. There is a third movie in this trilogy. What is it called? I'll always know what you did last summer. From 2006. I completely forgot that they made that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have been able to answer that if I hadn't seen it prior to this. I've never seen it. Neither have I. But I mean, hadn't seen the, the title of the movie. Ah. Well, Kelsey, that leads us right into our first movie, 1998's I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, directed by Danny Cannon, written by Trey Calloway, and based on characters by Lois Duncan, who still gets writing credits on these movies, of course, because of her novel that uh, the original movie was based on. The movie stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, Freddie Prince Jr., Brandy, Brandy Norwood, actually, but of course everyone knows her as just Brandy. <laughs> Mackay Pfeiffer, Jeffrey Combs, Jennifer Esposito, Bill Cobbs, and an uncredited performance by Jack Black. <laughs> it's uncredited? Yes. Did he not want Can to be credited? Can you believe that? I wrote down here somewhere in my notes. Where is it? Yeah, he's a named character who gets four scenes and... Several lines, including a death scene and not including posing as a dead body in a fifth scene, and he is uncredited. Maybe he didn't want to be associated I, with it. I don't know. This movie's I, really bad, guys. According, according to Freddie Prince Jr., he's never seen it <laughs> because it got really bad reviews, and he's like, oh, no, and he just doesn't want to see it. <laughs> You'll notice that Kevin Williamson is not a credited writer on this movie. He could not do it. He's too busy working on other things around the same time, such as Dawson's Creek, which was on the air, which he wrote. Yeah. The Faculty, yeah. which he wrote. Halloween H2O. Oh. <laughs> 
And he was almost uh, about to direct Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which he, oh, he did direct. Oh, no. Yeah. So he was not able to do this. He wasn't able to do Scream 3 either, which <sighs> he wrote the Scream and Scream 1. Yeah, well, Scream, Scream 2 one was Scream no two. good. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Scream Three. Three. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, this is also Brandy's film debut. Uh, actual, like, theatrical <laughs> no <shit>. debut. <laughs> the first movie she was in was Cinderella. I remember. You remember that, that from '97? A lot of, a lot of kids my age love that movie. But it was a made-for-TV, wonderful world of Disney movie. It was not an actual theatrical release. Mackay Pfeiffer, we all know. Everyone knows his name from uh, "Lose Yourself" because he was in Eight Mile. If I could think of the lyrics, as future, I would sing them. No, Mackay Pfeiffer. You know that. That's one? all you know. Yeah, But he was also in a movie that we covered on this show, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, where he played Andre. So, all the credit stuff out of the way, what is I Still Know What You Did Last Summer about? Well, the title's incorrect, because if I still know what you did last summer, that would indicate that it happened No, 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 no. This happens on the one-year anniversary, so it would be last summer. The first movie happens months later. What? No, it happens over the summertime. That's why it's called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, okay, so the original accident happens on July 4th. Right. And then several months go by, but it doesn't actually take place in the summer. This one takes place on the one-year anniversary. I'm fairly certain you're wrong. I might be wrong, but that's the way my brain explained it to me. Because, I mean, it's it's a big important plot point that... What day is today? July 4th. It's the anniversary or it's whatever. the two-year anniversary. I'm fairly certain is. the first one is, is it the one year? year anniversary. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. That's why she comes home, because it's summertime. Remember, she doesn't want to go home. She waits until the last second. And that's why What's-Her-Face has to dress up as the queen again, because it's the anniversary. Oh, my God. You're right. So the Okay, title. we might we might have this completely backwards, but it's confusing and that's the movie's fault. <laughs> but anyway, this movie I believe is the second year anniversary of what happened. Now a year after what happened in I know what you did last summer. And Julie James, Jennifer Love Hewitt, has made a new best friend at college in the form of Brandy. Carla. Carla, who has a boyfriend, Mackay Pfeiffer, who she's been dating for three months, even though they act like they've been dating for way longer than that. Whatever. And Brandy wins a trip to the Bahamas, but Julie's boyfriend, Freddie Prince Jr., doesn't want to go because... It doesn't matter. They go on this trip, and then they're stalked again. Yes. That's the plot. Yes. <laughs> we don't need to get into all of this for the plot summary because it's really insubstantial, guys. Trust us. This movie is just a bunch of deaths that don't matter. Well, okay, before we get into our recommendation, spoilers right there. <laughs> uh, the movie is free if you're a Hulu subscriber, uh, but you can rent it for 3 to $4 or buy it for 13 on most streaming services. Here's the million-dollar question. Should people watch I Still Know What You Did Last Summer? No. Yeah, just 
It's totally not worth it. There is no reason to watch this movie. It's just a bunch of deaths that do not matter. Then you find out it's exactly who you thought it was the entire movie. Yeah. And then it's the end. Yeah, and it throws in new lore, which is totally unnecessary and uninteresting and seems hyper convenient. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's you do not watch it, guys. Like, it's not even really that good as like, a oh, this movie's bad no. kind of way. It's just not good. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it while we were talking, and I don't think in the entire movie he ever actually says, I still know what you did last summer. He just says, I still know. And that's it. So, eh. Anyway, you could take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1998's I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Bless me, Father, five cent. From the creators of I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's been a year since my last confession. USA presents I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. They're all gonna die! He's gonna kill us one by one! Jennifer Love Hewitt. Randy and Freddie Prince Jr. I still know what you did last summer. Premieres Tuesday at 9. On USA. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does I still know what you did last summer begin? We get a recap of the last film through some dialogue. We get a dream sequence where Julie James, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, walks into a church and goes into confession and talks about how she's having horrible dreams because she killed a guy named Ben Willis. And he goes, I know. And she goes, how could you know? And then hook through the confessional. And then wake up screaming in a classroom. Yes. I wrote that down. Oh, waking up screaming in class. And then the teacher is 100% dickhead about it. Like, oh my God. Like, imagine you're teaching a class, and sure, one of your students falls asleep, and that sucks. But then they wake up screaming, and you make fun of them? I know what you did last summer. Nice to see you find political science so stimulating, Miss James. (laughs) Your immediate instinct isn't, are you okay? Is everything fine? You wouldn't think that even if it was a dream that they were maybe traumatized in some way and that's what causes them to to scream like that? Like, I don't know. If somebody screams like that in my presence, I don't think to laugh at them. Fucking dickhead teacher we will never see again. Yes. My next note, though, is, God, now Ray's a total dick, too. We don't meet Ray yet. We gotta meet her new friend, Will. Right. She has this new friend, Will, who's this perfect guy who's just really concerned about her and cares about her. And apparently they're all in summer school, which is odd. It is. Because this is the 4th of July weekend. Isn't it? But yeah, Yeah. they're all in summer school. He does say that. So are you getting out of town for the 4th? No, I'll probably just be here studying for finals. Joys of summer school. All right. Because they needed an excuse for them to be at college. Yes. For this movie. Yes. But she's like a total tease to him. She like touches his face and tells him what a great friend he is. Oh yeah, you're so good to me. And it's like, "Mm." And that's when she will see her boyfriend, Ray. Yeah. 
who is understandably upset after sure. seeing her do that. 100%. Uh, who was that guy? Oh, that's Will. He's a friend you'd like him. Yeah. Ray, we're just friends. <laughs> Every guy in history who tried to pick up on a girl did the good friend thing first. But they get into a conversation about how, you know, he wants her to come back for the 4th of July. And just like in the last movie, she don't wanna. Yes. For understandable reasons. Exactly. But he is a total tool about it. Yeah, because, of course, you know, he's a fisherman, and that's all he knows how to do, and he can't leave uh-huh. the fisherman town. My so. boat is docked in that town. Motherfucker, dock it somewhere else. There's more than one fishing town in the world. <laughs> But he, yeah, he's a total tool to her. And even when she explains it, she's like, listen, it's not about you. I want to see you. If you could come up here, I'd be totally fine with that. And then he explains, you know, no, I can't because that's where my boat is. Fine. Then understand that it's not about you. He still makes it about him. Like, what, you don't want to see me? No. There were deaths. She was chased by a murderer. So were you. <laughs> Don't be a tool about this, Ray. God. The first time we see Ray since the last movie, and he is unlikable. Yes. Which is a bummer, because Freddie Prince Jr. is a pretty likable guy. Yes. And when he leaves, she says to herself, I'm scared, that's all. Uh Uh-huh. Because she can't say it to his face. Which is a weird thing to not be able to say to him. You went through that together. Yeah. And the whole, I thought at the end, it was like they were never going to keep anything from each other or something. Yeah. But anyway, we get to see one picture of Sarah Michelle Gellar here. The only appearance of Sarah Michelle Gellar is in this picture. And she's and she's dressed up as the queen and she's sitting in that clamshell. Uh-huh. And it's like, that was right before she saw the killer and she looked like a crazy person, but okay. <laughs> she goes to sleep. She wakes up. There's a loud noise. The lights go out. Someone is creepy running in the background. But, surprise! It's just Brandy. (laughs) Going through her closet, because she thought she would be away on this trip or whatever that she never said she was going on. Uh, And she was raiding her closet to to wear something to her job at the club. (laughs) And she says, I'm working tonight and you are coming with me. And Jennifer Love Hewitt is like, I don't want to go. You're coming. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Smile. Cut to she goes to the club. This yes. is the this is the caliber of humor we're talking about here, people. And then she's sitting there hanging out with Mackay Pfeiffer while Brandy is working. And she's like, get out there on the dance floor. And she's like, have you seen my people dance? <laughs> and Brandy's like, well, we'll just dance together. And it's like, aren't you at work? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm going to take a break. The three of us are going to go to the dance floor and we're going to dance together. And they go and they run into who? Who's there waving to them? Will! Will is. And Julie turns to Carla and is like, what the fuck did you do? And she's like, oh, I definitely didn't tell him that we were all going to be here and that he should come. To which your response should be, I have a boyfriend. Yes. She never says that. No, she never does. But while she's dancing, what happens? She sees the Gorton's Fisherman on the upper floor. The what? <laughs> the goth Gorton's Fisherman. You know, Gorton's, they make like fish sticks and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yes. And he's wearing like this yellow rain slicker, but this one's black. So he's the goth Gorton's Fisherman. Yes. 
And Which, as she approaches, she crosses the dance floor and just walks away. Later, the indication will be that this is real, like that she really is seeing him. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the indication, but nobody else acts like it's weird that a dude's just standing in a club staring out at the dance floor <laughs> wearing, wearing a rain slicker, yeah. Oh, yeah, a uh-huh. rain slicker and a hat. Uh-huh. By the time she gets across the dance floor, he's gone. She hides basically in a corner with her back to the wall, but that doesn't prevent him from being right behind her. And then she turns around screaming or whatever, he's not there. Because yes. he's a magical teleportation ghost. Yes. She just convinces herself she's seeing things because it's coming up on the anniversary and post-traumatic stress. The next day, they will get a phone call from Magic 93.7 or something like uh-huh. that. And it's asking her a question if she knows the capital of Brazil. They look to... A bag of coffee beans or coffee grounds or whatever, because Brazil is one of the primary sources of coffee. We learned a lot about coffee in Persona 5. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, they produce more coffee than anywhere else in the world. And they shout out what? Rio de Janeiro. All you have to do to win is tell me the capital of Brazil. Okay, uh, b- Brazil. Um, the capital of Brazil. Uh, Come on, Carla. Uh, what is the question? One great getaway. Um... Okay, five seconds. Uh, Four. Rio. 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 Uh, okay, uh, Rio de Janeiro. And at first, I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I was thinking it might have been Sao Paulo, but I'm like, no, Rio isn't right. I Like, that's a whole thing. Like, oh, you would think that Rio is the capital of Brazil, but it's not. I didn't know what it was. But I was like, that's not right. Remember where I brought that up while we were watching the movie? Yes, you did. It'll become important later. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy on the radio was like, did you say Rio de Janeiro? And she's like, no. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you just won four tickets to the Bahamas. Woo! Oh, no. Did you say Rio? No. Yes. Yes. You just yes. Magic 96.7. Yes. So she gets off the phone. They're all excited. And she's like, now I got four tickets. So you've got to think of someone to invite. What do you mean I have to think of someone to invite? I have a boyfriend. Yes. But I think she's putting up, do you want to actually invite your boyfriend? Or do you want to invite Will? This is where it gets really, really janky, and it would be a little spoilery to talk about it, but it is important that Will is coming on this trip with them. Because at first, she does try to invite Freddie Prince Jr. Yes. And he says no. Oh, you can't come visit me, but you can go on this trip. Motherfucker! We talked about it's the specific location that's the problem, not seeing you or going on a trip. But he just can't let that fucking go, and he says no. And then he says, I'll think about it. She even tries, like, to be really sweet. She's like, but it's the Bahamas, you uh-huh. know? And, and uh, which yeah. was weird. The Bahamas. Really? You know, and it would be it would be a great chance for us to just hang out for the weekend. You know, just kind of sitting in the sun, drinking fruity drinks, swimming, and... Well, you know. <laughs> no, how dare you besmirch Jennifer Love Hewitt, <laughs> one of my childhood crushes. 
but yeah, she's like, I want us to be together, please, for me. And he's just like, oh, think about it. So he gets off the phone and his friend is like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, he wants he, to take you to the Bahamas. And his excuse is that we're really busy down here, so I don't think I can go on a trip. But his buddy's like, we're not busy. Like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? And then we find out that, well, it's because I wanted to propose to her. And it's because he wanted to propose to her in Southport. I cannot fucking imagine what this guy's malfunction is. <laughs> she tells him over and over and over again that she is terrified of this place. And he thinks that the most romantic idea possible is to propose to her there. So much so that when they have an opportunity to go to the Bahamas... <laughs> He does not take that as a perfect opportunity to propose. And his buddy needs to convince him, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, we'll call her back. And he's like, no, we'll surprise her because the movie needs her to not know that he's going to show up. Yes. this. There's entire, no reason to surprise her for this. This entire thing relies on the fact that he does not tell her he's going to come. Yep. Because if he had, this whole thing would have fallen apart. Yep. If he had come, period, let alone told her. Well, he tried to come. Right. That's what I'm saying. He tried to come, and he gets stopped by the killer. It's this whole thing where he gets stopped because there's a dummy in the road. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question. Why would Ray be any less a target and worth a whole trip to the Bahamas scheme? So, yes, this is a plot by the killer to kill Jennifer Love Hewitt in the Bahamas, and in this particular location, and the location is also very important, just because this movie decided it was, and it <laughs> makes up this contrived excuse as to why this location is important. <laughs> she is just as, if not less, responsible as Ray for hitting this guy and leaving him for dead in the first movie, and yet, Ray is just disposable. Oh, he can't go. This plot is for her and only her. He can't come. He needs to just be killed off unceremoniously, which he isn't. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's so fucking contrived. Yes. So Jennifer of Hewitt can be our damsel in distress in this movie. And so Freddie Prince Jr. can go on a quest. Yes. To redeem himself from being a total asshat. <laughs> so yes, he does try to go with his buddy. They stop when they see a car broken down and a body in the middle of the road. He goes up to the body, turns it around, it's just a doll, and then that's the moment that his buddy gets attacked by the Gotham's fisherman. <laughs> yes, and then Freddie Prince Jr. will get knocked out, and I guess left for dead? He runs away, yeah, and then he gets, and I guess he just gets left for dead because he falls down a hill, and yeah. <laughs> we should say that we do know the fisherman's name. It's Ben Willis, and if you know that name, it kind of ruins the big twist in this movie. But they say his name repeatedly. Well, but they don't say Will Benson repeatedly. Yeah, they do say Will. Spoilers, Will's a bad guy. <laughs> so yeah, so the next day when they're going, Freddie Prince Jr. doesn't show up because he's been knocked out. Uh-huh. But who does show up? Mackay Pfeiffer shows up with Will. Yes. The guy who really likes Jennifer Love Hewitt. And they're just all going to go. But, like, can you imagine if you were Will? Like, hey, get all your shit packed. Come to the airport with me because there's a chance that her boyfriend's not going to show up. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So they get on the airplane. 
They all make fun of Will because he's afraid of flying. Which is a minor plot point and totally unimportant. Because <laughs> then when they get on a boat later, Mackay Pfeiffer has to throw up and then Will gets to make fun of him now. Exactly. For not taking the patch like he offered. There's a dude who helps them take their stuff off. The boatman. And he's important because... Well, he's like the skipper of the ship. He's important because he's going to die. <laughs> oh, no, you're talking You're talking about the Bill The dude with Cobbs. the fake accent. Oh, no, that guy. Yeah, I can't even remember his name. Yeah, the porter. You're right. Yeah, he has a fake accent because he's trying to get money. But my point is, is that there's a skipper on this boat who will set up the entire parameters for, like, what's going to happen on this island. Yes. He says, the boat is the only way on or off the island... Unless you're injured, in which case they bring in the National Guard to get you out, and that there's a storm coming in that looks pretty bad, which he says to this porter guy. This is when we learn that it's the end of the season for them because storm season is starting. Yes. So when they finally get to the concierge guy, who is Jeffrey Combs of reanimator fame. Wait, but before we get to Jeffrey okay. Combs, we meet Jack Black. Oh, yes. Because I had Black no idea he was in this movie. Titus. Who just lives on this island, which, by the way, is in like Jalisco, Mexico, or something like that. It's not. He's actually like the Bill gardener. Hines. Yes, you're right. He is the gardener, but he also is a pot is, dealer. Is a, is, he grows pot too, in addition to all the plants on the island. And he is way obvious about that. He's a white dude with dreads, and immediately he comes up to these people and offers them weed. <laughs> yes. Damn. You know what I was saying? Are you looking for some bread? I got some bat guano. I got the cream jeans. Listen, anything you guys need, Titus got. No, thank you, but thank you very much. What's up? Everybody needs something. What about the ladies, the sweet young ladies? Is there anything I can do? Take a bath. Oh, damn, that's cold, woman. All right. <laughs> Listen, if you need some weed, I'll get with you later. And it's just out of nowhere. You're just like, oh, my God, Jack Black's in this movie. Yeah. And as you are looking around this resort, it is so obvious that it's Mexico. Yes. It is not the Bahamas at all. If you've ever been to the Bahamas, you know they do not look like this. And if you've ever been to Mexico, that's Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> like the coastal parts of Mexico, you know. Then we meet Jeffrey Combs, who plays a racist man. <laughs> yes. But he also clarifies that the reason that this place is so empty is that... July 4th or the 4th of July weekend or whatever is actually the start of storm season for them. And it's very, very bad. And that they're kind of stuck here. Why they would even accept new people here is weird. Like, why are you even open? He's surprised when he's like, oh, you're the contest winners. So he knows there's a contest? Yeah. Yeah. How did the killer coordinate this with the resort? They get to go to the 201 and 202 honeymoon suites, which everyone acts like is a big deal, but then yep. don't tell them why. Yep. And then when you find out why, is it even related? I don't remember exactly what happens. There was a massacre. The yeah, that was in those suites, but was it had it something to family? do with him. Yeah, like his 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 wife Daughter was killed wife. or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we we do learn later that he has a history on this island. The killer does. So now they know that they're going to be staying in these two suites, and she's like, uh, well, great, what are we going to do? And Will is like, I'll sleep on the couch. Well, yeah, because she wants to stay with Carla, but Mackay Pfeiffer is like, um, 
I came here to spend time with my girlfriend and I'm going to stay in the room with her. So you're stuck with Will. Tyrell, by the way, is Mackay Pfeiffer's name. Cut to Freddie Prince Jr. Who's in the hospital who none of the doctors believe his story. So he escapes from the hospital yes. because he must save Julie James. So what do they do to fill the time as the only residents of this island with a big storm? Well, Mackay Pfeiffer and Will go to the bar where there's a bartender who will kind Jennifer of help Esposito. them or does she die? She does die eventually. Yeah, but I mean, she's kind of a red herring. Is she Ben yes. Willis's daughter? Yes. No, she's not. No. But basically all these people we're meeting guys are all of the deaths because we can't actually kill off our three characters. Uh-huh. So everyone else that does not have anything to do with why they would want to get revenge on these people, they just kill them. Yep. So they go down to the bar, Jennifer Esposito... Is there an, and they're like, so why are you still here? And she's like, none of your fucking business. And they're like, man trouble. And she's like, I guess, but I shot him. <laughs> like a cute little thing. Uh-huh. And then Julie is talking to Brandy and she's like, I miss Ray. And Brandy's like, none of that. Let's go downstairs and have some fun. So let's do some karaoke with just the four of us. Okay. Do you remember? When Jennifer Love Hewitt had a music career. No. Okay. Yes, she did. Uh, she was also a singer. She was a singer before she was a popular actress. She Like, professional singer, not like a star or anything like that. She had her first album when she was 12 called Love Songs in 1992. She had two albums in 95 and 96 called, respectively, Let's Go Bang... And Jennifer Love Hewitt, so it was self-titled. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. The next song she really did was How Do I Deal. Which was on this soundtrack. Oh, uh-huh. Jennifer. And she did cover an actual recording of I Will Survive, which is a really nail-on-the-head reference they have here. Yes. That's the song she sings for karaoke. Yes. But yes, she did more music after this, actually. Interesting. Mm -hmm. She's charted in, like, Australia and stuff like that. Interesting. She's been relatively successful as a, you know, she hasn't been a star as as a singer, but she's been successful, relatively. She ends up basically doing a, uh, like, singing for Will and doing a dance for him. But while she's singing, what happens? She realizes she doesn't actually know all the lyrics to I Will Survive. So she turns around to look at the teleprompter and it just says, I still know. Yes. And she screams and everyone's like, what's going on? Say, I, it said on the thing, I still know. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Meanwhile, the words have stopped. It's a black screen. Why wouldn't you believe her? They just call her crazy. That's going to continue because then she'll go up into her own room and she'll find a note just like she did in the first movie that's all in black, bold letters. It says Julie. And she slowly walks up to it and she's getting scared. And she opens it and it says, surprise! And she turns. And it's Will. 
It's Will. And he had a bottle of champagne and a rose. Again. She has a boyfriend. boyfriend. Yes. Jesus Christ, man. But of course, we know he's not just some bumbling good guy that's being a jerk pursuing her when she has a boyfriend. No, no. He's a bad guy. Yes. So it's not like we're looking for him to be, like, have high standards for how he treats women. But then she apologizes to him. Yeah. And it's like, even if he wasn't an evil killer. Yeah. Like, you have no reason to apologize. You shouldn't be expecting him to bring you champagne and a rose because you have a boyfriend. Uh Uh-huh. So this is when we get the death of the boatman for no good reason. One of Jack Black's scenes. Yes. Then the maid gets killed for no good reason. Yeah, okay. So <sighs> she goes to clean a room. She grabs some sheets and they're covered in blood. And she, when she screams, he comes out of the room behind her. So again, it makes you ask questions. Okay, well, what was the scenario then? You know, you know how you watch horror movies and you're like, the killer comes out of nowhere. There is a fantastic Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode called Agent from Harm. It's like a James Bond wannabe sort of thing. It's a terrible, terrible movie and one of the best episodes of Mystery Science Theater. Anyway, at one point, somebody opens up the window and they look out and they see somebody in a car who's just already staring up at them. (laughs) And then there's a musical sting and they go, ah, ah. And somebody says something to the effect of four hours of staring at this window finally pays off. Yes. (laughs) Ah, ah. Five hours of staring at the window finally pays off. So what happened? He needed to kill somebody, get the sheets bloody, put them in one room, then go wait in another room right across the hall, hope that the maid doesn't clean that room first, (laughs) and then when she screams, come out the door and kill her. Yes. And to what end? Why did you need to scare the maid first before you kill her? Because the movie needs you to do that. Yes. That's a, always a bad reason to do anything in a movie like this. It is a very bad reason. Meanwhile, Mackay Pfeiffer and Brandy are getting it on in the jacuzzi. Well, getting it on, they're, you know, being all sexy, but they're not actually having sex. Right. But that's what Mackay Pfeiffer would like to do. Yes. So then Jack Black... <laughs> Comes up out of the water with a joint in his mouth. Again, the caliber of comedy in this movie (laughs) is that, oh, we got the pothead. He needs to have a joint in his mouth at all times, even though he just came up from underwater. Yes. And as he swims away after disturbing them and he swims backwards, he has the joint in his hand and it keeps like dipping underwater. And I commented on that. And you said, well, he had it in his mouth when he was underwater already. It's already (laughs) soaking wet. And so, but he's still, like, watching them as he goes uh-huh. away, and Mackay Pfeiffer just acts like they've, he's gone. Uh-huh. Like, let's get back to it. No, yes. he's still right he there. He the pool. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter, because in walks Will. Yeah. And even though Mackay Pfeiffer tells him to leave, Will just ignores him, which isn't awkward at all. Yep. So Julie is all by herself. She opens up the closet. Who's inside the closet? The porter. Yeah. The dead body of the porter. Yes, he's hanging in her closet. And she screams. And this is when I wrote, well, it can't be Will then. Right, because he was outside. We saw all him interacting. So the important thing is, is that there's really the actual killer here. (laughs) Ben Willis. (laughs) He is here. Will Benson (laughs) is also a bad guy posing as a good guy. But 
to no for no reason. He doesn't do jack shit in this movie. He doesn't kill anyone. There's no. no scenario where it's like, oh, well, it could be this guy, but it's not in order to, you know, like in Scream 1, when there's like, oh, well, we know it couldn't be that guy because he's here. He just got attacked by the killer. Well, that's because there's two killers. That never happens in this movie. <laughs> there's no reason for there to be two killers, but they they need a twist. So yes. they write it into this fucking movie. So she finally convinces them that it's real, but I don't remember how. Uh, they run to the lobby, but they find out from reanimator Jeffrey Combs that the phones are down. There won't be a ferry for days because the storm's coming in. And he's like, the only thing we could do is get the helicopter in case of an emergency. And Brandy's like, well, what the fuck do you call this? Uh-huh. And he says, oh, I call it a bunch of, like, entitled teenagers. What about a radio? Emergency's on. What the hell would you call this? I'd call this four spoiled city kids who wouldn't know a hurricane if it blew up their ass. Yes, he Acting tries to intimidate her, and it's yeah. pretty great. Mackay Pfeiffer gets in his way, like, and, and Jeffrey Combs definitely backs it down, because he realizes I would not win in that fight. Right, which is awesome. Listen, if some, if some stranger is being a dick to somebody you know, stand up for them. That was good of Mackay Pfeiffer. But it doesn't stop him, Tyrell, from being a total dick to her for, like, the rest of the movie. <laughs> like, he, he gets mad at her for being traumatized, which is annoying. And then when it turns out that it's real, he gets mad at her for dragging him into it, which I guess is a little bit more valid. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jack Black gets killed with his gardening tools yeah, for no reason. No reason. Because everyone needs to die on this island. Freddie Prince Jr. sells his engagement ring for a gun. Yes. But apparently one fewer bullets than there are chambers in the revolver because, well, it'll come up later. <laughs> exactly one fewer bullets. Apparently the four of them being Brandy, Mackay Pfeiffer, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Will all slept in the same bed together, I guess, because they were scared. Yeah. And the dudes go off to do something, and the girls go to work out in this extremely crammed gym that includes all kinds of boxing gear, so that Brandy can show off her boxing moves. Her kickboxing moves, yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt gets into a tanning bed, which, don't get this confused, this is not the Final Destination one where the two girls are stuck in there. This is just Jennifer Love Hewitt, and she's going to be just fine. Oh, it's stupider. Brandy ends up finding a body in a dryer. <laughs> yes. The, the okay. So she hears a thumping. This is a callback to a moment, a non-moment in the beginning of the movie when Jennifer Love Hewitt is worried about a thumping sound coming from a dryer. And it turns out Brandy's just drying her wet shoes. And Jennifer Love Hewitt's like, they're going to ruin the dryer that way. And she says something clever or whatever and bounces no, off the of her. shoes pop out and she's like, I love it when they do that. Yeah. And so she's walking up to this industrial sized dryer that you might see at a resort and it's making another thumping sound. And she's like, you're going to ruin the dryer that way or whatever. And she feels the fucking need to open this dryer <laughs> because the movie needs her to. Yes. But in reality, nobody would do that. Yes. But she does, and what does she find? The maid. Yes. The dead maid. The dead maid. And so she screams. The dudes find Jack Black, who's dead. Uh-huh. Jennifer Love Hewitt has been zip-tied into her tanning bed. And it's been turned all the way up. Yes. So she's being fried alive. 
Meanwhile, in the middle of this storm, the two guys who didn't hear Brandy scream and Brandy all meet up outside in this storm and somehow hear Jennifer Love Hewitt, who's stuck inside of a tanning bed in another room. Yeah. So they break into the room. And oh my goodness, the struggles to get her out of this tanning bed. What one very important thing never occurs to any of these people. Turn it off. Just turn it off. The controls are right there or unplug it from the wall. But no, they're panicking that she's going to die from this exposure and they need to break her out and they can't seem to do it and they're struggling and they try multiple different ways. Nobody thinks just turn that little dial back down. Nope. Or unplug it from the wall. Nope. Nobody, and then we can take our time figuring out how to get her out of here. Yeah. And I mean, really, in a tanning bed on a maximum setting, how long really do you need to worry? Like, does it need to go before you need to worry? Like, how high would that tanning bed, like, legally be allowed to go? If it's a matter of seconds that you need to break out of there or whatever. These are good questions. These are it's such questions. a contrived terror. Meanwhile, I still know has been written in blood on the wall. They get her out. She's fine. Yeah. They find something and Brandy obviously says shit. But they've turned it to gosh, yeah, I which started to make us think that maybe we watched an edited for TV version on Hulu. Yeah, because if you look at it on Hulu, it's part of... So Hulu is a collection of a bunch of different networks, right? Generally, most of them are owned by Disney, because like ABC is one of those. And then it, Disney just bought Fox. Fox is another major owner of Hulu. So now Disney owns a majority stake in, in Hulu. But it said ABC, This isn't an ABC movie, but it's like, oh, this is an ABC airing, isn't it? So they censor the language. But, like, none of the violence is censored. There isn't much of it. As far as we know. Right. It was rated R. Brandy is mad and says to her, I can't believe you didn't tell this to me. I'm your best friend. And she's like, I didn't want to involve anyone else. And then Brandy says, well, it's too late for that now. Julie does explain everything about the original movie where, yes... We thought we killed the guy who was killing people, but nobody asked questions apparently about why he was killing people because she has to explain that, oh, we hit a guy, we left him for dead, and then he came back to kill us, and that's why he was hunting people down. This is the first time they're hearing about this. And also, that when they thought they killed him at the end of the first movie, they never found the body. Yes. We get a pointless scene of Freddie Prince Jr. popping pills on a bus yeah. and a woman looking at him. like looking at him like some, for some reason. I yeah. guess because he's kind of beat up. I guess. it's Why is this in the movie? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then they put Jennifer Love Hewitt in a ridiculous outfit. Okay, so now, now they know there's a killer on the loose. And she needs to get dressed because she can't be wearing... The stuff she was going to wear to work out or take a ta- get a tan in. She was wearing a bikini. Yeah, she, well, she was wearing a bikini with, like, some shorts and, like, a t-shirt or whatever. But shorts and a t-shirt, no, no, no. I need to get changed. What does she change into? If you were around in the late 90s, you probably know what I'm going to be talking about. There was this look where girls would wear kind of fitted, tight button-ups. Oh, yeah. But that only had so many buttons, and you were supposed to wear it kind of open. Yes, where your cleavage was showing and your belly was showing. This was totally a thing. 
In any other case, I might have been like, yeah, well, that's a, that's a popular thing that girls wear. Uh-huh. But not in the middle of a storm. Right. And not when I know that a murderer's after me. She's also wearing like a, is it a skirt that she's wearing? I think so. Yeah. like It is an absurd outfit. Well, because they need her to do the, I'm right here, come at me moment, which we're going to get in a little bit. And we need to see more of her boobs than we saw last time. It's just blatant. Yes. And it's insulting. Yes. But I mean, that was kind of what they used Jennifer Love Hewitt for in the late 90s. She was on like 40% of every Maxim cover. (laughs) (laughs) They think it's like the porter who is... Not the guy who died. Yes, the older one. Bill Cobbs, who I mentioned earlier. You may remember him as like, he's probably, he's been in a lot of things and you recognize him when you see him. He is Del Paxton in that thing you do. You know, the jazz drummer that yes. Wes's face really looks up to. He's also the grandpa from People Under the Stairs. Oh. But they find his room and there's all this voodoo shit in there. And they find that he has stolen stuff from, from them. them. We saw earlier that he's chanting something about the blood of the young while he burns Jennifer Love Hewitt's toothbrush. Yes, cuz earlier she was like, "Where's my toothbrush?" So there's and this And Brandy's missing her scrunchie. Yeah, so there is just this whole subplot where they're just like, "Oh my god, voodoo, that's gross cuz it's not like a western religion." And he must be the killer now. Okay, if I were to walk into a room that had a bunch of voodoo stuff and, like, chicken feet and all that, and it had a trinket of mine that was taken and people are dying, I would probably put two and two together, too. Yeah, this person that has nothing to fucking do with the reason that the killer is after us? It's just, it's real, I mean, but the... My point is, is that the movie put it in here in the first place to be used as a red herring so a bunch of Westerners can be like, ew, voodoo, gross. It's not Christianity. It's weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like a bad reason to use voodoo. I suppose. But it's pretty great when he when he shows up, because of course he does. It's his room. <laughs> Julie sees him. And Brandy says, after Julie has seen him, Julie, watch out. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And Well, be- the reason he, he makes an appearance is because Julie is looking at a globe where she finds Brazil and sees the capital marked as Brasilia. And he says that to her. Brasilia. <laughs> capital of Brazil, not real. About this tequila? No. Bullshit, we've seen the voodoo stuff. No, I found the bodies this morning. I tried to use the radio, but he had already destroyed it. Brasilia, or whatever. (laughs) And she's like, oh God! (laughs) It's not, the capital isn't Rio de Janeiro, because... They said earlier, that's how they they told him earlier in the movie that, oh, yeah, we won a a radio contest. We just had to name the capital of Brazil. And then they're like, Rio de Janeiro. And he's like, hmm. (laughs) Yes. And he explains, I've been trying to protect you. And that is why Jennifer Love Hewitt believes him. And she tells them we we have to believe him. This is when we will get a recap of the scene from the last movie. Only this time it's in rain and she's in the white shirt. Yeah. And even more of herself is showing. And her boobs are bouncing a lot more this time. Uh-huh. And she's- I mean, there's a shot where she comes out of a, 
out of a shower or something and wears like a bathrobe that is so goddamn sheer because she doesn't dry at all because she hears some weird noise that you can just see every little curve and piece and 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 nipple. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, they're trying to get their money's worth with Jennifer Love Hewitt here. Yes. I mean, her arms are out several times. She screams a lot here. Like, it's a lot worse this second time around. Almost like they're making fun of themselves, but they're not. Yeah, no, it's just like, this is going to be the thing. Because you know how Scream was about, like, oh, it's like a meta-commentary on horror movies. This one is, she's a woman who's not afraid to shout at the killer, come get me! And that's going to be, like, their shtick (laughs) in every movie. (laughs) Is it in? I'll always know what you did last summer? We'll find out someday. (laughs) I'm sure we'll cover it. So then Estes... We'll tell them the history. Apparently, the guy that they hit with their car used to work at this resort in the Bahamas. Yes. And lived there with his family. And some sort of massacre happened and his daughter and wife were killed or something. And there was blood all over the room. 201, where you're staying. But that doesn't matter at all. It really doesn't. Oh, we didn't say that Jeffrey Combs died. They just came across his body at some point when they're running around the hotel looking to get him to call the the helicopter or the National Guard or whatever. And then he's just dead at his desk. Yes. Estes will show them the graves of these people because apparently they were buried on the on island. On the island. On the resort. Uh-huh. And then there's a new headstone that and has says, Julie James written on it. Yes. In blood. Oh, we get more arms out and boobs uh-huh. jiggling in the rain here. When they run inside, Mackay Pfeiffer decides it's the best idea to just take a block of knives and throw them rather than, you know, just take one out of the block of knives. Uh-huh. No, I'm going to throw a bunch of knives everywhere. <laughs> it just seems like a bad idea. There's a lot of bickering going on between people in this moment where they're yelling at each other and it's all contrived and it's really annoying. Just the in-group bickering. At one point, Will goes to get Estes, and Estes is preparing a boat, and as Will comes up to him, Estes turns around, swinging an oar, and knocks out Will. Yes, supposed to be leading us down the path of thinking that it's- It it is Estes, after all. we know it's not. Yeah. And so it's pretty fucking clear at this point that it's Will. Yes. Mackay Pfeiffer gets hit over the head by the barmaid, which is another little red herring because it's just that she's trying to survive too. Uh huh. Somebody says, oh, I think it's Mackay Pfeiffer. Mackay Pfeiffer finally has had enough and he's like, look, I have not seen this, this psycho killer. And then the psycho killer falls from above. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm fucking horny. And personally, I haven't seen one goddamn psycho killer. Somehow. Where did he come from? Why did nobody else see him when he came dropping down? How long has he been waiting? Yes, how long has he been waiting just inside this ventilation shaft? (laughs) Oh, God, this is really exhausting. I'm starting to lose my strength. (laughs) His arms start shaking. I'm just hoping that they happen to go there and he happens to be right underneath him. Yes. So Mackay Pfeiffer is dead. There's no Mackay Pfeiffer. Goodbye, Tyrell. They find a window above Jennifer Love Hewitt's bed, which is supposed to indicate that they've installed this window to see them from above to watch her. When did they do this? Yes, because the yeah, uh, who knows? Maybe some creep a long time ago. Maybe he was doing that 
originally. Did he do it to all the rooms, or did he just happen to know that Brandy would take the other one, yeah. and Jennifer Love Hewitt would right. take this what one? If, what if they just decided to get the different rooms? Then yes. What, happens? yes exactly. what if Jennifer Love Hewitt said, no, I'll stay in my own room? Uh-huh. But they're in an attic, and they need to walk on the boards. That's when Brandy falls to the floor. Yes. Brandy does fall through the the ceiling or she gets stuck as the killer's coming up to get them they and get then, her out right in time yes so she falls through this glass lands on the bed because okay the reason she fell through the 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 floor or i guess the the ceiling because they're in the attic in the first place is because jennifer esposito is like oh you got to make sure you walk on the beams it's like okay well somebody's gonna miss a beam and gonna fall through you know that yada yada and it does happen her and the killer fall through He's knocked out. She climbs over him and she goes outside and ends up falling down on a glass greenhouse, like this giant glass greenhouse that's just outside. And so Jennifer Esposito and Jennifer Love Hewitt need to go around to get to her. So she's landed on this greenhouse and the glass is cracking and she needs to step somewhere to get off of here and not fall into the greenhouse. Where, dear listeners, do you think she steps? Does she step on any of the frames of these window panes where it's going to have the most support? No. Does she step on a plane of glass that's not cracked? No. She puts her foot right smack dab on, and it's not like she didn't know that it was breaking. She was nervously stepping, hoping that it wouldn't break. Yes. Like, come the fuck on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. She has to be a goddamn moron. Yes. But apparently she is, and she falls in. So now she's stuck. Oh, God, this is so great. She is stuck in this greenhouse, and they need to get her out. But the keys! The keys! The keys! Oh, the keys! Exactly. There is a keys, keys moment here. They don't say it, though. I was very disappointed that they didn't say it. Jennifer Esposito has the keys to the resort, and she needs to unlock this greenhouse, which is locked at this door. And they need to get her out. And they need to do it quickly because the killer is coming. Is he coming towards the two women, including the one that he really wants to kill? No. He's coming after Carla for no good goddamn reason. How is he going to get to her if this greenhouse is closed? Well, the other door is just wide the fuck open. (sighs) So instead they get like a fire extinguisher, I think, or something, and break out the window of the door, and Brandy does this, like, she puts one leg through, and then her head through, and this really sort of, like, contortionist act, which is very impressive. (laughs) And it manages to get out, and he's, like, reaching through. They never actually unlock the door, and then they, you know, they have, like, an eye-to-eye moment or whatever. (laughs) They find all the bodies have been put together because, you know... We had time to do that, the killers did. He's a collector. And they're all set up in creepy ways. And then Will shows up and he tells Brandy to go and do something. And so he's alone. Yeah, Brandy and and Jennifer Esposito, who, again, her character name is Nancy, but unimportant. She's the bartender lady. They go off and do their own thing. And now Will and Jennifer Love Hewitt are alone. And he's acting like he's been hurt really bad and there's blood all over him. So Jennifer Love Hewitt goes to help him, but she can't find a wound. Yeah. And he's like, that's because it's not my blood. So apparently he did kill somebody or he's just the one who moved the bodies. Or no, it's Estes's blood. Yes. That must be what it is. He killed Estes. So I think he's probably been killing people, but who knows? Yeah. 
And she's like, oh, my God, what is, ah. And it's he's pretty like, what great. Are you, an, you an idiot? Yes. My name is Will Benson, Ben's son. Tell me why. Why? Come on, Jules, think about it. You'll get it. Will Benson. Ben's son. Hi, Dad. I like that. Hi, Dad. <laughs> yes, because the dad's there, and now yes. they got her. And they're carrying her out to the cemetery again. Because they want to bury her there. Yeah. With their family for some reason? I, I guess. But Freddie Prince Jr. shows up and tells them to mm-hmm. let her go, and he's got the gun on them. Okay, before we get too far into this, we should probably say that before Ben Willis, Willis, Benson, Will is Ben's son, come on. <laughs> anyway, what happened to Nancy and Carla? Well, they're in the bar, and then... Somebody got speared. Is it Estes that got speared? Falls onto Nancy, the barmaid, and then the killer comes up and just pushes it down, pushes it down and right. kills her. Yes. And then Carla runs away. And we just don't see her until the end of the movie. She's alive. Don't worry. Yes. He doesn't pursue her. He goes back to worry about Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> What's the point of having two killers if you're not trying to do two things at once? Right? He just goes back to do the thing that Will is already taking care of. This movie's a mess. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. But yes, they're back in the cemetery. Freddie Prince Jr., Ray, has a gun on them. And then there's this whole moment where, like, Ben is trying to mad dog Ray and like you don't have the guts to shoot me like are you kidding me why are we having this moment here well because they set it up that Ray is like losing his mind and is gonna do anything to protect Julie (laughs) and he will kill a man (laughs) like it's not that intense it's not that believable like he went on this big long trek and all that did was just make it so we knew he was going to show up at the right moment. That's all it did. We're not thinking that Ray has some emotional arc here because he really doesn't. Oh, you might be wondering how he got there. Remember, he's a fisherman. Oh, yeah. He takes a boat. And he uses his gun yeah. to get a boat. In the storm. Uh, which I think is fine. They're using the fact that he's a fisherman to his advantage. He was a fisherman in the first movie, so it makes sense. That's probably one of the best elements of the movie. <laughs> but he he proves Ben wrong by pulling the trigger, but nothing comes out. It's just a click. And then they get into a fight. Yes. There's a whole big fight. Will takes him down, and his dad tells him, tells Will, stand him up. So he does, and then Prince hits him at exactly the right moment. So that he gets out of the way, Ben Willis kills his son, Yes, with the hook. He's like, hold him up so I can come running at him at such a speed as to not slow down if he dodges. Yes. And then, okay, for you wrestling fans out there, (laughs) god damn it, I can't believe I'm telling the story. Okay, (laughs) the Rockers were Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, and they were like my favorite tag team growing up. Next to... The Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, and there was a match where these two tag teams were going at it, and then one of the Rockers was holding one of the Road Warriors up, and right as one was going to come and attack the Road Warriors, the Road Warrior dodged, and one Rocker ended up hitting the other, and this was a huge deal. The one felt betrayed, how could you hit me, and they ended up breaking up on... 
Brutus the Barber Beefcakes talk show where Shawn Michaels sent Marty Jannetty through a window and then that sent Shawn Michaels off on his solo career and he became the Heartbreak Kid and he's a huge, huge wrestler. That's like a seminal moment in my watching WWF wrestling as a kid. And it always bothered me that they couldn't just talk about it. It was very obviously a mistake. It was because the Road Warrior dodged out of the way. He didn't mean to hit you. Anyway, that is exactly what I see when I see this moment, because literally that's what happens here. A wrestling subplot from the 80s, or the early 90s maybe, is now how Freddie Prince Jr. gets Ben Willis to kill his son. Yes, and as he realizes what he did, Julie shoots him. Yes, because she picks up the gun. So she shoots him, and she shoots him repeatedly until he falls into the open grave that he had made for her. Yes. And apparently just that one chamber was didn't have a round in it, or it was a dud, or whatever, because she shoots him with the rest of the bullets until it just continues to click, click, click. Suddenly, Freddie Prince Jr., who has been nursing his his arm this whole the time. The entire time. Suddenly has full use of both of yep. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then as they're walking across the resort, out comes Carla. Carla. Hey, guys, I'm alive. I think she says that. Yes. Carla, God, I thought I would never see you again. Oh, girl, you don't have to worry about me. Made a still. So dumb. How did she get away? What was she doing this whole time? No idea. No idea. Back at home now, they've bought a house and they're engaged. Both Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Everything seems great. He leaves. I don't remember why. Well, he's like brushing his teeth. And she finds muddy footprints. She doesn't. She finds a window that's open and there's muddy footprints on the floor. And she's really concerned and she closed, She just closes the window and she doesn't see the muddy footprints that are right there. Blatant evidence. There's just muddy footprints on the floor. It's bad. She doesn't catch it. And then she gets pulled under the bed. Like at the end of... Wreck. Wreck. And yeah. Quarantine. Quarantine. Yes. Before those movies came out, though. Yes. So, yeah, but it's that moment where she's screaming as she's getting dragged under the bed. End of movie. I'm really curious as to what is canon. Because if you remember the end of I Know What You Did Last Summer had her taking a shower and then the glass fogs up and says, like, I still know or whatever. And then he comes crashing through. End of movie. Turned out that wasn't real. They don't even bother explaining it. Well, she starts out by saying, I've been having these horrible dreams. And then he comes through at the confessional. Yeah, but it's a completely different. That was another dream. I had another dream. One in the shower? No, in the church. Like, why wouldn't it be them just re- doing the scene from the end of the last movie if it was going to be a dream anyway why not just Wanted have them line the up just perfectly you know just in case they kill jennifer love you in the first two seconds of the film keep a surprise well we don't it doesn't change the surprise factor because we don't know what happens after that at the end of the first movie just that's how the movie ends and then they did it again this time so i'm really curious as if it's just going to be another fake out like it was this time well she's not in the next movie right but what's the explanation what is the canon we'll have to find out yeah well no i got to watch it god damn it yes uh kelsey what are your general thoughts about this movie it is a big mess it is not worth your time it is a bunch of deaths that you don't care about not at all and have nothing to do with the guy's revenge idea, plot, scheme, situation. I've said the word several times in this episode, but if I had to describe this movie in one word, it would be contrived. Yeah. 
It is a cash grab if I ever did see one. Well, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes then? 38. 7%. Ooh. Boring, predictable, and bereft of thrills or chills, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer is exactly the kind of rehash that gives horror sequels a bad name. Metacritic of 21. 21 is the average score given to it. A cinema score of a B. So the teenagers that yeah. saw it enjoyed I mean, that's it. Why, yeah, see, that's why that's the value of cinema score, right? Is that you can see how people feel coming out of the you movie. You can see how your core audience exactly, felt. Exactly, exactly. The people who were actually going to see this movie, what did they think of it? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a different... This movie sort of wasn't barometer. meant for, for critics. <laughs> exactly. But I'm surprised it was as high as a B. I can't imagine. I Teenagers, saw it when it came man. out. I saw it when it came out. I can't imagine that I liked it. I, it was such a nothing movie to me. I never had any desire to see it again. And I forgot everything about it. Coming out of there and saying a B is crazy. <laughs> Do you think this is overrated or underrated? I started to think about the score I was going to give it, and I was like, I have no justification for it, now that I think about it. Aside from the fact that I enjoyed revisiting Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ferdy Prince Jr. Like them as people? <laughs> like seeing them in movies? Brandy was okay. Right, the the nostalgia factor of Brandy and Mackay Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. yeah. Jack Black was funny for two seconds. I mean, just because it's it's Jack Black. Well, it's like a it's just interesting to see Jack Black there in this role. And you're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's good in that way. So I'll give it a 15. I was going to give it a 20. OK, that's what I had thought of ahead of time. So I'm I'm glad that you didn't go for like a 40 or something like that. Just for context. The last movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Kelsey gave it a 77 and I gave it a 69. Nice. 69, dudes! Yeah, a huge drop-off. Huge drop-off there. Man. Well, are you excited to see I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer? Nope. (laughs) Not at all. It's going to be so bad. But part of me is like, I must know. All right, Kelsey, before we get into our next movie, horror trivia. The Thing arrives at Outpost 31 in Antarctica disguised as what animal? A dog. A German shepherd? No. Wow. What? A husky. Oh, it's a husky. Oh, I have to be specific about the species? Yes! Okay, fine. You're right. I got it wrong, but everyone knows. (laughs) Failed. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Well, this was one that relates to our next movie. Is it about it? No, but it's one I do not anticipate for you to get. Okay. So it's payback. Okay. <laughs> I thought twi- you'd get that. The question of the husky. Yeah, because the husky is Kelsey's favorite breed of dog. <laughs> the star of our next movie, Revenge, is Matilda Lutz. Okay. She was in a franchise that we have covered on this show before. What franchise was she a part of we haven't seen the movie yet is what you're we haven't saying. seen the specific movie but the franchise has been covered on this show okay you might not even think about it as a franchise great we watched it because it was a recommendation from someone we know personally franchise that's been recommended to us that has to be within the last 10 years because it's her the movie that we haven't watched on the show 
Yeah. I will tell you that Lou recommended we watch this movie. Okay, it's not House, is it? No. Okay. That's all I can remember. It's like Lou's favorite horror movie, I think. Or at least it's one that he wanted us to watch. Oh, The Ring? The Ring, yes. She was in Rings, which we tried watching and turned off because it was so garbage. It was so bad. It was really bad. We're like, nope, I'm not doing this. And we turned it off. We never do that. It was boring as fuck. It was. That's why we turned it off. I was like, nothing is happening. Are you interested in this at all? Nope. Okay, let's turn this off. (laughs) Well, I would say she's much more interesting and engaging in this movie than she was in Rings because we didn't even know she was in it. The next movie is 2017's Revenge, written and directed by Coralie Farge, Fargeat, I don't know, she's French, starring Matilda Lutz, Kevin Janssens, there's two S's in the middle of the name, which makes me think it's like Nordic in some way, and Vincent Colombe. What is Revenge about? A lot of it's in the title. A woman has some bad things happen to her. And then she gets revenge on the people who did those bad things Out in the middle of the desert. In the middle of the desert. On a bunch of dudes who think they can do whatever the hell they want. Yes. They do not expect the woman to fight back. Yes. It is free if you're a Shudder subscriber, because I guess this was partially produced by them. If you want to watch it and you're not a Shudder subscriber, you can rent it for 2 to $4 on uh, most services or even buy it for $10. Keeping in mind that there is a huge content warning on this movie for rape because that is the inciting incident. We talked in our last movie that it's very like Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave in that respect with a huge content warning to folks out there. Taking that into consideration, should people watch this movie? Not if you want to see a horror movie. I wouldn't really consider it's it almost a like an movie. action film. Yeah, but there are there's definitely horror elements. Yes, but there's a lot of blood and you blood ha- everywhere in this movie. Yes, and you have to go in. I think I think you do. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna see this and you're gonna enjoy it, you have to know going in something is going to happen that is completely impossible, and if you can't accept that then you will not enjoy this movie. Yes, this this movie is a big metaphor for, like, the concept of women putting up a fight. You can watch it in that context and realize that it's not necessarily supposed to be a literal story that you're supposed to believe. That's not what it's about. If you can accept that, it was not bad. It wasn't it, bad. It does... It does approach it does flirt with that line of torture porn a little bit because there are scenes where it's just like ah, this is just a gruesome scene to gross you out and can you handle this this is going to make you feel really uncomfortable there's a lot of that which kind of turns me off to it a little bit uh, but that's just us it is a well-made movie i would say yes it's a little bit of its own mess a little bit it is but yeah you can take our advice or leave it When we get back, we will talk about 2017's Revenge. Jennifer? Stan Dimitri, my associates. Hi. Hi. Driving completely crazy. 
tell me. What is it you don't like about, about me? You're not my type, that's all. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does revenge begin? They want us to know from the get-go that this that they are going to a place that is in the middle of nowhere. Yep. By showing us that a helicopter has to take you to get there. It's somewhere in the middle of the desert, somewhere. You can tell right from the beginning that this movie is highly stylized with its cinematography. Yeah, apparently the cinematographer is Rob Recht Havert. And I want to make sure that that we give credit to this person, but also the director specifically cited movies like Drive as a sort of visual reference for the type of thing that they were trying to do. Visual and, I guess, auditory. Because I would say also auditory some, more so. Yeah, I mean, Drive has a very good soundtrack, but there's a difference between its soundtrack and its score. And the score of this movie is is very similar to the score of drive and there are a lot of visual moments that are definitely evocative of drive with the sort of dark tones matched with it's funny neons. That you say that because i was gonna say there's a lot of a lot more brightness going there is on a lot more brightness room. in here but but drive has those la bright sun moments too you know so there there is that as well but like there's that shot when richard is losing his mind and he's driving through the desert at night and the camera is just looking at him and it's complete black all around him. So yeah, it's, you can tell that it's evocative of other movies intentionally. So like she's not trying to hide that or anything. Yes. There's heavy synth and some neon that definitely reminded me of drive, but the the bright colors really made me think of movies like the cell or, Oh, yeah, like the right one, out in the open with, with sweeping landscapes, blue skies. And what's the one with the, the red mask on the cover? What's that called? Oh, that's the other movie by the dude. It's the same guy? Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, the movie you're thinking of is The Fall, and yes. directed by the same guy who did The Cell, Tarsum Singh. Yes. Lots of bright colors, a lot of love for the desert. Going yeah. on here. Mm-hmm. The other thing she mentions as inspiration are Wild at Heart, the David Lynch film, Under the Skin. You know that one where she's an alien. Still haven't seen it. Yeah. And David Cronenberg. Robrecht Havert, the cinematographer, hasn't done a lot. He's done a lot of shorts, but he, he is the cinematographer for the new Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the composer for this is Robin Coderre who also composed for Maniac, the remake Maniac, and Horns. Seen both those. I haven't seen either of them. Liked both of them. (laughs) But the other musical influences that she mentioned were John Carpenter, Etienne Jamais, who I don't know, but I guess is a French composer, and Thomas Bengalter, who is also French, but is one of the members of Daft Punk. (laughs) But we meet... 
our main character. Uh, she's doing a whole Lolita thing. She's got the big sunglasses. She's got a lollipop in her mouth. Totally Lolita. And uh-huh. she's obviously younger than the dude that she's going here with. So it has that kind of feel to it. So our two probably, I guess, main characters are Jen, played by Matilda Lutz, and Richard, played by Kevin Janssens. Yes, and so Richard, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to figure this out, is obviously very well off. Yes. And lives the high life. And so this girl is just kind of along for the ride. What's the first thing they do when they get to their house in the middle of the desert? Well, the dude gives him drugs. Yes, yes. (laughs) First and foremost, the helicopter pilot gives him a sort of welcome gift of peyote, which is a hell of a welcome <laughs> oh, gift. Oh, it's peyote? Yeah. I didn't realize that. So if it is peyote, now I've never taken peyote, so I am not speaking from experience, but I am speaking from people who have taken it, who have told me about the experience, and of course, just from the fact that peyote was originally meant to take you on your vision quest if you were an indigenous person. So peyote is meant to last for several days, and you are supposed to hallucinate for that entire time. Yeah, there's not enough hallucination in this movie, I don't think. Not I would have appreciated enough. more, and it would have been great opportunities to... Show us some visually stunning stuff. Yeah, that I feel like wasn't wasn't taken, and I'm I'm at least glad that we weren't introduced to any. Is this really happening or isn't it stuff? Oh, as soon as she, well, as soon as we saw that he had it, I thought someone's going to take that at some point, and then this movie is going to become just a trip. Right. I was kind of not looking forward to that. But I I wished we would have gotten some visual and auditory fun out of this. Yeah, I um, think there's so many. In the form of the peyote trip. There are so many options available to you at that point. Mm -hmm. Instead, they chose to only use it for, like. One scene? Jump scares. Yeah, and briefly, like in a very small part of the movie, yes. when like when something that you're very obviously doing is trying to create something that is visually and auditorily stunning, great opportunity that was kind of passed by. But I am, again, I am thankful that what also passed us by is a lot of like, did this really happen or didn't it bullshit? So I'm glad at least we didn't get that. But anyway, he gets the peyote, and then what happens? First thing when they get to the house. Well, we get... Like a, you know, a sexy scene, but then it turns really super serious when she goes to give him a blowjob and like Uh the music goes away and it becomes like a very serious moment of him getting a (laughs) blowjob. Yeah. Awkward. We, we also Very see strange. We also see her like squeezing his bare ass. Yes. And this movie loves butts. This well, his butt, really specifically. Lo- well, also hers. Her butt yes. gets a lot of screen time. Yes, that's uh, true. The movie just absolutely loves butts, which is fine. It's totally fine. I'm glad that it's equal opportunity butt time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, she gives him a blowjob. And it's funny that you mention that she squeezes his ass, because what I noticed was, dude has no ass. Well, he's he's ripped. He has he's kind of ripped. A, he has kind of a like a muscular ass. So you would expect his ass to be like fully formed. No, no, no. It's 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 muscular. It's trim. But it's not muscular. It's yeah, like it barely is. there. That's I know. Listen, I know you don't know from experience what a muscular ass looks like. Oh. 
But yes, this is he has he has a pretty good figure for a dude, I gotta say. Except that his everything about him seemed stretched. I think that probably has to do with his face. I think he needs water. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. A lot of times what muscular dudes do when they're going to get on camera, like for instance, Hugh Jacked Man. Uh what he does when he knows he's going to be filming a shirtless scene, I think Chris Hemsworth does it too, is they dehydrate themselves. Yes. And he looks very dehydrated and what it does is it, throughout is it, this film. It stretches out your skin. <laughs> it, it pulls it tight against your body. And it really shows off every curve of every muscle. And it makes those veins pop. Right, and yes. it's not good for you. And they only do it when they know they're doing a topless scene. But it is a thing that dudes do. Absolutely. I know because I used to date a practically a bodybuilder, so uh. I know that. But anyway, my point is, yes, he looks like he needs water. <laughs> it looks like his skin is stretched as far as it can go. He's a good-looking dude. <laughs> I gotta say. Anyway, we get a scene where he's on the phone with his wife, because obviously this woman is not his wife. Yeah. Like we said, she's way younger than him. He's taking her out to his house in the middle of nowhere so that he can have his affair. And that makes the girlfriend upset. But then he makes her feel better because he talks about her ass. Her juicy butt. Yes. Everything would be so simple if the kids weren't there. And if you didn't have such a nice ass, where is that little peachy ass of mine? Little juicy peachy yeah. <laughs> It's like a little alien coming from another planet. Yeah, he gets on a phone call with what we assume is his wife planning some sort of event. And you should also know that this movie transitions easily depending on who's talking and to whom between French and English. Yes. Because I don't think they ever say she never speaks French. And she, she doesn't have an English. accent. She has kind of an accent, but she's not American, and she's not Canadian either. <laughs> so, like, she's not British. Where is she from? Maybe she's French. But she doesn't English. speak French? Maybe she's supposed to be an American girl. Her whole thing, guys, is that she loves L.A. and, and wants, she wants to go to, to L.A. She yeah. wants to be noticed. Uh-huh. So, the next day, she wakes up. And she goes to the to the kitchen, but when she opens up the, the fridge, it's just filled with alcohol. Uh-huh. So she goes ahead and gets some water and, from the tap and an apple. And then there's just two dudes awkwardly staring at her. And she for, takes a bite of the apple vertically. Who bites an apple vertically? I might. Like with the core pointing up and down, you bite up and down there. I might. You don't turn it sideways and bite it that way? I don't think I I don't think it matters to me. I think I just do whatever. I mean, think about a core. And I know this is such a tangent, but it just it just stuck in my mind. Think about a core of an apple, right? Of an eaten apple with just the core left. How would you make that shape if not eating it sideways? Dodo. Anyway, it just stuck in my mind as a weird decision. Well, I think the decision to use this apple as a metaphor is way really up its own on ass. the nose. Yes, it really is because we're going to see this one bite of the apple start to rot and then get infested with ants and it's just supposed to be a metaphor of how this this picturesque vacation is going to to turn and like come on, we get it. it yeah. We keep cutting back to this apple and it's Several so times. obvious. Yeah. It's so crazy, obviously. I'm like, let's take that out. You know, it felt like a teen 
who wants to use a metaphor in their story. And so they use it and they overuse it. And you're just like, okay, we don't need it that many times. (laughs) I'm fine if they would have cut back to that apple once. Yeah. But we don't. We come back to it like three, four, five times, something like that. We end up finding out that these two guys are were supposed to show up. They are friends with Richard, but they were they showed up a day early. Yes. So Richard's plan was to show up two days early, spend two days with his girlfriend, then send her off, and then his friends were going to show up and they were going to do a hunting trip. Yeah. But everything doesn't work out simply because they show up a day early. And they talk about how they went out of their way to come here a day early and spend time with Richard and yeah. But that doesn't make a lot of sense. When you think about the fact that, well, yes, as Chris says, they're going to tell him, oh, we thought we were being nice by coming up here early. Why did they know he was going to be there? Right, exactly. Either he wasn't going to be there or he was. And if he wasn't going to be there, how would you get in? And if he was going to be there, why would showing up early be a nice thing? Exactly. And then also, on top of that, Richard will say to his friends, you were never supposed to meet my girlfriend. Uh Uh-huh. Except that that doesn't make sense either, because if they had showed up the next day, she definitely would have been there because the helicopter wasn't supposed to show up until like two o'clock in the afternoon, which becomes a plot point. Because if it had shown up early in the morning, none of this would have happened. Right, no, 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 but... Yeah, no, I guess you're you're right because okay, so she's there. That's really interesting because what what happens is they show up there together. They spend the day there. They wake up the next day and the guys show up early. This is her second day. The next day after that because they spend the night together. The next day was when the guys were supposed to show up and she was supposed to leave, but the helicopter doesn't come till late. You're right. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, not that it's incredibly important, but it is kind of a... It's a dumb premise. Yeah. They just needed to get to the clash of these people. Yes. Chris loved that they kept watching wrestling. (laughs) It was just interesting. (laughs) It was weird. It made me wonder where they were, you know, like... Do they not watch wrestling in France? No, all the different stuff that they were watching. You know, they were watching Le Mans at one point. They were watching soap operas. They were watching, like, just what they had on the TV was really interesting to me. I really, I-, I have no idea where they were. If you know where they were, write into us, tell us. No idea. They're in the middle of the desert somewhere. <laughs> Maybe in France. Is there a lot of desert in France? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know where they would be. <laughs> well. The helicopter pilot spoke French. Yes. Don't know. Maybe they're in those French parts of French-controlled Africa. We get a weird sequence here where she... So they're all supposed to be hanging out, drinking and smoking and just hanging out. But again, sometimes the cinematography is great and sometimes it can be up its own ass. We get kind of a montage, but it's not long enough to be a montage and nothing happens during this time. So it's not a montage. But... It's like her laughing has been slowed down. There's a lot of slowed down speech, too, that you think is part of the soundtrack. It's not. Exactly. Uh And it was very confusing. And, like, we would get images of her laughing with slowed down laughter. 
I had no, I thought that and I'm like, oh, I thought that was part of the soundtrack um, independently. And we haven't talked about this prior to this. You thought the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's a problem of the movie. It is. It absolutely is. You figure out that it's not part of the score because they start talking and the sound moves up to their speech level. Uh And you're like, what? Yeah. Why? And like, we got weird shots of like the TV playing wrestling, like with them outside. It was so weird. Mm-hmm. Very strange. This is when we'll get the whole like, oh, she wants to be noticed that they've got extremely powerful hallucinogenics, which is why he tells her to hide it so that the dudes won't have it. Yeah, because this plus weapons guaranteed accidents, you fucking morons. Yes. They're, they're there for a hunting trip. They have very powerful weaponry. Like, we should not be taking this while we're on a hunting trip. Yes. So she hides it in her own necklace yep that he did not know about but you think that that's going to become really important it's really not i mean i guess the point is that he says when you take peyote the scary thing is is that you can you don't feel anything so one dude took it and sawed off his own leg. And didn't feel a thing. And didn't feel anything so later when she takes it it makes sense for that one Reason. Right. Exactly. And that's it. Underutilized. <laughs> Very. So again, this is after she's told them all that she desperately wants to be noticed. And, and she wants to move to LA and, and so she's wearing she's, a shirt that says, I love LA. Yes. And so she starts to do a sexy dance and she wants Richard to join her, but he doesn't want to. Can we just say for the record, guys, LA is not that great. <laughs> well, if you want to get famous, it's a pretty good place to start. Kind of not anymore. <laughs> Justin Bieber got famous in Canada. (laughs) The internet folks. But so she decides, because she doesn't think she's in any danger, because her boyfriend's there. So she takes this other dude who she doesn't know anything about and starts dancing with him. Well, specifically because Richard refuses to dance with her and she wants to dance. She does it to tease Richard. Not thinking that there's another human being involved in this interaction. Right. And I am not victim blaming here. Obviously, what ends up happening to her is all this guy's fault. But there are certain things that as a woman, you need to be extremely aware of. And it it bothers me that I get that she's supposed to be young. She's not that young. Right. She's in an affair with a married man. Like, this woman knows... What it's like to be a woman. So it bothers me that she would just dance with this guy who's already been super creepy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. She was already scared of them when they first showed up, carrying guns and stuff like that. She was already terrified of them. And we don't see her making decisions that that reinforce the feelings that, we've, that we already know she has. And we know enough about, I mean, we figure out enough about this character that he wouldn't have needed this as his, as his go-to. She could have danced by herself and that would have been enough for him. Right. Which she starts to do. Not really. She goes out, she's on the other side of the pool, and she starts to, like, dance on her own, and then she invites him to dance with her, and when he says no, she grabs the other dude. Right, but what I'm saying is, they're using this as his excuse for what he does. Okay, and again, we gotta be very, very clear here. 
we're not saying that ex- that like excuse and being excused are the same thing. There is absolutely zero reason for what happens to happen. None, and it is inexcusable. Right, but it bothers me that yes. they gave him that. Yes, exactly. You didn't need to give him that. This mm. character probably would have done that no matter what. But maybe the point is that this guy is a, is a, is a horrible human being and Have you ever seen I Spit on Your Grave the original one? No. I've never seen the remake, so I have no idea what they did with the remake. But in I Spit on Your Grave, he one of the guys who this if you've ever seen it or if you ever want to see it, you should know going in that this woman will be raped multiple times in horrific ways and the camera is not afraid of it. But he, one of the dudes will say to her, "You wanted this." You were showing off your body to me as if you wanted it. And the audience knows that this is a bullshit excuse because what he's talking about is Mm -hmm. earlier in the film, she walked in front of him several times Uh and she had short shorts on. And that's all that happened. Right. And that and when he says that, no one in the audience is like, yeah, see, he's right. Right. No one says I get that. that. I get that. But maybe the point of this is, is that it doesn't matter if he thinks he's being reasonable and the audience questions whether or not she did anything to contribute to this. It doesn't matter. He's still a bad person and he deserves what he gets. Maybe that's the point that they're making. He doesn't need to be completely unmotivated to be a bad person. It doesn't matter how motivated he is. He's still an awful human being. And I'm okay with that. I just don't like to give anyone any excuse to think about, well, she shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Which, in your mind, the movie does. It gives people an excuse to to victim blame. Yes. But I think, yeah. But I think, alternatively, the, the opportunity to victim blame shows it doesn't matter if there is any blame in her direction. She doesn't deserve any of it. So, I mean, yeah, you could really go either way here. The next morning... Richard has left to go and do something. What in the fuck is he thinking? Well, later he'll say he was only gone for two hours. Uh-huh. And so he didn't think anything could happen in that short amount of time. But anyway, so the other guy is passed out in the pool. But it doesn't matter because when he's not passed out, he doesn't give a shit. So yeah. that that's, doesn't matter. And so she realizes, oh, my God, it's just me and this guy. And I was... Okay. So to be clear, there's Stan and Dimitri. Dimitri is the big dude passed out in the pool nursing a hangover. And Stan is our, I mean, I hate to say he's our asshole. All three of these guys are assholes. He's the perpetrator here. Yes. And I wrote down in my notes, I'm really not looking forward to this happening. I know it's coming and the movie's really playing it out and it's super uncomfortable. And I know I'm going to hate this. But again, the movie's supposed to not be shy about this. It's supposed to show you something bad happening and then the consequences of that bad thing. So she tries to deter him because she can tell immediately he's staring at her. He's being very uncomfortable with her talking about how it's just the two of them. So she picks up on this very quickly. Now, what she decides to do is she tries to get on her phone. That doesn't deter him. She tries. Then she decides, I'm going to get up and leave this situation and go and pack. Unfortunately for her, that's putting her in a room all by herself. 
etc. With nowhere to go from there. Exactly. And it's like, I don't understand what this guy thinks is going to happen after. Right. Well, I think that's the point. These guys are all rich dudes. And I don't think his friends are rich. I don't think they're as rich as him, but I think they are. They don't act like they are, and they don't dress like they are. No, this is how dudes react. This is how dudes act around other dudes. Right, but they don't dress like it. They don't talk like him. They don't... Well, no. In theater, there are things you have to do to make a character very clear. And uh-huh. I, I teach this to my kids when they first show up in my class. He is dressed a certain way. He speaks in a certain way that shows he has money. These two other characters do not do that. Right, but... Th- they bring the nice SUV, they bring all their nice weaponry, they bring the ATV and the motorcycle, like, this is all their stuff. Do we know that? These guys just show up on a helicopter. Richard and Jen show up on I a mean, helicopter. He, he might have had all that stuff just at the property. But then how did they get there if not by helicopter? That's what I'm saying. I think these guys are also rich, not as rich as Richard, and he, not as good looking and so forth. Like, he's the one with the higher status amongst them. But I think all three of them are rich assholes. And he thinks he can get away with anything. And that's part of the point, right? Like, it's the presumption that nobody will do anything to him. So he just does whatever he wants. But yeah, so he walks in without knocking. She's changing. He just walks in without knocking. The door is open then. I don't think so. I think he opens it. We don't see that interaction. Either way, I don't know. I I would just, it, it, I would immediately, and she is, and that's part of the reason why it upsets me so much, is that she does quickly understand the situation that she's found herself in. But she doesn't prepare herself in the way that I would think you would. At this point, though, he's in between her and the exit. She knows she's in a bad situation, and she already knows that she's in a lot of trouble. That she's in a bad situation. Or why doesn't... It, we saw her get on her phone and start texting. Why not call her boyfriend? Yeah. Why not call Richard and be like, Richard, when are you getting home? Your friend is acting very strange. Right. Like, I get that we need to get there. I need. I know that for this movie to go, we need to have this happen. The fact of the matter is, is that the movie is called Revenge, not Prevention. <laughs> Right, and that's what I'm saying, but there are, there are ways that they could have made this feel more like she had no way of getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Sexual assault does not have to be unpreventable to be despicable. Absolutely. He has zero right to do any of what he does. He's wrong completely. It all comes down to how you interpret it. I think presenting a scenario where she could have gotten out of it and didn't is pointing out the fact that it doesn't matter if she could have gotten out of it. This is still something worthy of taking revenge on. The it doesn't like it doesn't have to have been a perfectly unavoidable situation to merit revenge. He starts to ask her why she's not interested in him. This is when it gets really weird and then she says you're too small. And then he says, "Oh, okay, that's understandable. But wait a minute. I haven't changed height since yesterday, have I?" When you were all over me? Why is it that you were all over me then and not all over me now? His point being, you should be into me now because you danced with me yesterday. Which is oftentimes the the, the mental state that horrible sexual assaulters and rapists have. Which is why girls are afraid to talk to men. Yep. 
Because if I even talk to a dude and I'm nice to him, that could give him the impression that that means we're going to have sex. Right. And if you're a bitch to him, then, you know, things could go bad that way. And it's like, what do you do? And I think that kind of reinforces my point of it doesn't matter what she does in this situation. He's going to do what he's going to do. In wa- So he's absolutely about to rape her against the the glass window. And in walks Dimitri. And the movie will make a big deal about the fact that he's eating a candy bar and obviously doesn't care about what's happening here. He's disgusting. Yes. But again, if you're going to make such a big deal about him eating, like, I thought that was going to come up later. So did I. I thought it was going to lead somewhere. I thought, no, they just wanted a visual flair moment. Yes. And that's all we get. It's so shallow. Yes. And I think that's the biggest part of the problem with this movie is that it is shallow on the surface it's beautiful and i think the 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 soundtrack and score are great and i think what it's trying to say rape bad women fighting back good is great but that's literally all there is to this movie it's so surface level it's incredibly shallow and i think this moment is emblematic of that so she is screaming while this is happening, and he decides to turn up the TV so he doesn't have to yeah. hear it. Do you remember when we were talking about Happy Death Day, and we talked about, well, how shitty it was in this movie that's a comedy, to make a comedy beat moment out of somebody coming in, realizing that somebody is being assaulted, and then just leaving without doing anything, and how shitty it was that they made that into a joke? Yes. This is why. Because this movie is telling you this is bad. He is a bad person and he is complicit in this happening. And it is not funny. It is disgusting. So but this is what we were talking sense about. Because after he turns up the TV so he doesn't have to hear her, he then goes out into the pool. Where he can see it happen. Where he can see it. <laughs> yes, I agree. Sense not making. Uh-huh. But it also, it also makes it so where she can see him just lounging around in the pool while it's happening. Yes. So, Richard comes home, and his friend sheepishly tells him there's been a problem. Uh-huh. Which- The implication is that she's the problem. Her reaction to this situation is the problem. Not yeah, what he did. and it bothers me that Richard isn't even slightly upset about it. Later, Richard will get pissed- Right, but he goes into- Because his friend is a- Idiot. Right, but he goes, it's because he introduced this problem, not because he hurt this woman that he cares about or doesn't care about either way. It's because Richard immediately goes into problem-solving mode. And when he comes in to check on her, he's like, hey, I transferred a lot of money into your account and you're moving to Canada. It's like L.A. Everything's okay. I fixed everything. I made a few phone calls to find you a job in Canada. It's practically Los Angeles. That's the amount I transfer to an account for you. You can use it as you please. Jen, this is the possibility to change your life. But you can do whatever you want. I'll uh-huh. pay for it. Basically, he's telling her, we're not going to be together anymore because I know that you're upset. Uh-huh. So I'll just pay for you and everything will be better. Yeah, he's trying to fix it with money. He's trying to buy her off. And she's like, I just want to go home. And I want to go home right now. And then... When he's not doing it, when he's not calling the helicopter, she says, do you want me to tell your wife about our affair? And then he hits her, knocks her down, and he goes, how dare you? And this is another one of those points, like, oh, how dare you put my relationship with my wife and family in jeopardy? You know, that is awful of you. It's like, 
dude, you did that Mm -hmm. by having this affair in the first place. But that's what the movie's trying to point out. So she, now that he's hit her, she realizes I could probably die. Yeah. So she decides to run. But again, they're in the middle of the desert. They run. They follow her. She, She ends up at the edge of a cliff. And at first... Richard acts like, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of this. It's like, give me your phone, he says to Stan. And he takes Stan's phone and he supposedly calls the helicopter and says, hey, I know you're supposed to come later. I want you to be here as soon as you possibly can. Half an hour, great. And But really all he's doing is he's fake calling and he's using this as an, as an excuse to tone down the situation, get her out of fight or flight mode and get close to her. Because as soon as he gets close to her, he just pushes her off the cliff. And she lands back first on this exposed branch. Does she not have family or friends? Does no one know where she is? Right. That The movie never addresses that. Yeah. You can't just murder somebody. There are people that know these people. Yeah. And if I was going to go to... I had a friend once who went on a... Who was telling me how excited she was to go on a date. Uh-huh. Where they were going to fly her somewhere. Uh-huh. And I said, I need to know this person's phone number. I need to know your phone number. I need to know when you're going to get there. And you are going to text me when you get there. And you're going to text me when you leave. Because Jesus Christ, did it sound like my friend was about to get murdered. Yeah. She didn't. She was fine. And it was a great, one of those great dates. I went on a date with a really rich guy and everything uh-huh. was awesome. Cool. He right. could have murdered you. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's people that should know that Jen is here. She's definitely told people that she's having an affair with this beautiful rich guy. But yes, so supposedly dead, pierced through the back, out the stomach by this dead tree, I guess. Which, by the way, is now coating it in blood. Yeah. He goes back to his house and calls his wife to tell her how much he loves and misses her. Yeah. Stan says, I'm really sorry about Jennifer. And he goes, who's that? Never Who heard of her. About? Yeah, don't know what you're talking about. And Stan's kind of shocked. And yes. it's this weird sort of moment where like, are we supposed to be sympathetic to Stan right now? Stan becomes such a strange character at this point. Yeah. Stan all of a sudden feels guilty. Can't believe his friend would murder somebody. But rape totally fine. Yes. Rape in the sobriety of, of daylight. And yet. Murders murder is, like, is oh God. over the line. And he can't believe his friend would do that. And he's surprised and shocked. And he feels guilty. And it's like, dude, you were stone cold sober. You made a calculated decision to rape a woman. And I, it's... It's weird. It's weird. These are weird choices. Yeah. But the point is, is that Richard is even more stone cold. When it comes to problem solving, he will solve the problem. The problem in this case being Jennifer, not Stan. But Jennifer, because Stan, he already did the thing that was a threat to Richard by raping Jennifer. But Jennifer is an outstanding threat right now and needs to be dealt with. And so he kills her and they're going to come back. They're going to get ready. They're going to go on their hunting trip. And when they go out on their hunting trip, they'll clean all that stuff up. And so they finally get all their shit together and they drive out to the cliff. And in the meantime, while they're driving out there, what do we see? What happens? Well, first of all. We get ants crawling on her, which I'm just like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I understand the it's metaphor. Be, yes, I get it. Just driving me crazy. 
I can't stand that. Can't stand it when movies that are made with tons of money are stupid with their fucking metaphors. It was like when I saw Gravity and I was just sitting there for the last 15 minutes of Gravity. I was just like, I get your fucking metaphor. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. You've been pushing it down my throat for the last two hours and now the last 15 minutes is just metaphor. Haven't seen Gravity. <laughs> anyway, miraculously, she comes back to life. Totally impossible, and you just have to accept it. And it's fine. That's not what this movie is about. This movie isn't about realism. Although, the violence tries to be. Yes. The violence tries to be really gory and in your face and make you, you're going to have to deal with this. We're going to put this on the screen, and it's going to be realistic gore, tons of blood, over the top, but realistic. But it expects you to just wave this off. Yes. Which is a little weird. Yeah. This movie is all over the place. But she he she hears them coming and she knows she needs to get out of here. So how does she get herself off the branch? Well, first you might be thinking that she's grabbing for her headphones. Yeah, it's weird. We don't <laughs> see anything but her iPod. <laughs> I thought for sure she was grabbing for her necklace to get the peyote. No, that's still on her neck. She's reaching for her iPod and her headphones and there's nothing else there. Like, what's going on? I thought what we were going to get... I thought she was going for her headphones and was going to put them in, and then we were going to get music. Yeah. And then we were going to start with the revenge And it was going to be thing. like a badass sort of thing. That's yeah. what I thought. Uh -huh. But no, <laughs> she was apparently reaching for her lighter, which you could not see. Yes. And, at all. And she she gets some kindling, lights the kindling, which then lights the branch. And here's the problem. As a Boy Scout, I can tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy to do behind your back. And the amount of time it would take to dry out that branch enough to where it would snap off the way that it did would have killed her. She would have burned to death. But again, that's not the point. We're just supposed to accept the fact that she gets off of this branch, but the but the end is still stuck inside of her. She's still pierced through the middle. And they do an incredible job with this. I have to say, there are moments when she's stuck on this branch and we can see her breathing after she wakes up and the branch isn't moving. It's one of the biggest problems when they try to show something piercing through somebody's body is that when their body moves, the thing moves along with it, obviously proving that it's not independent of the body. <laughs> but this branch does look independent of the body. It looks incredible. I think they did an amazing job of this. And she manages to snap off of this thing, drag herself away on a bunch of clear dirt that when we see an aerial shot isn't there anymore. Now, at this point, it becomes believable simply because I've seen, I mean, I guess it's doctor shows. I guess it could not be real, but I've seen a lot of doctor shows where people have things sticking through them and they tell them, leave it in. The only reason you're alive right uh -huh. now is because that's still in you. <laughs> yes. So this kind of becomes believable. But she drags herself away to the cliff side and to hide because she knows they're coming. And when they get there, they look over the edge, they see the burned dead tree, and, and the problem, she's not there. the problem here is your heart does start to pump. Uh -huh. You're like, oh God, oh God. But then you think about it, and you're like, the movie's Well, then the movie won't revenge. happen. Yeah, the movie won't happen if... <laughs> she's going to be fine. <laughs> exactly. I mean, maybe ultimately something bad happens to her, but we got, all, we got like an hour to go. 
and that's more than always an hour. that's always a problem with horror movies. Yes. Whenever you have to put your main character in danger in the middle of the film, no one in the audience is wondering well, if they're going to die. That's <laughs> why, you know, movies like Psycho were so transgressive is because they killed off the main character early. There was something else to do. But in this instance, what else would there be? <laughs> I mean, I guess it could be a haunting and her spirit <laughs> comes back and gets revenge. <laughs> But anyway, they realize she's not there and they're like, fuck. <laughs> well, what's interesting is Stan suddenly has the idea of taking her to the hospital. Yes. Oh, that means she's alive? Good. We can take her to the hospital. What? I mean, okay. Okay. I do not understand this character's motivations. Even if you didn't try to murder her. <laughs> She's going to put you in jail for rape. Right, right, right. But he's thinking the right thing, which is that if she's alive, because now he's starting to feel guilt about the enormity of their actions and the consequences of those actions, not the consequences to him, but to her. And that is good. Yes, but why? Why is Stan feeling that way? Well, because the idea of Richard throwing her off the cliff jarred him into guilt. (laughs) Meanwhile, Dimitri's just schlubbing along to all of this. Yeah, Dimitri doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) He's a non-character until right before he dies. What's interesting is Richard will turn to Stan after Stan says we should take her to the hospital. And he goes, wow, you had balls when you were alone with her, but you certainly don't now. Yeah, as if it's commendable the way he behaved with her and not now. Exactly. That's the problem here. But Richard's a dickhead. Like, that's the point. At one point, you can't expect him to be a paragon of virtue. No, I know, but at one point, you finally like, yeah, fuck you. You didn't have, you don't have the balls to do that. But it's like, wait a minute. The example you're using minute. is the worst thing he's ever done. I don't want to agree with Richard. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say this about oh, Stan. I see, I see what like, you're saying. Yeah, okay. Stop this. <laughs> this movie, like I said, it's kind of a mess. It's all over I mean, the place. I think I think what we said earlier is apt. I think it is a very shallow surface level thing. And where you will find your enjoyment for this movie is in that surface level. And if you can do that, it does a lot of things really, really well. But it is just that surface level. And there are more examples coming up of how it is just that surface level. So they decide to split up. Richard's going to go one way. Dimitri's going to go the other way. And then Stan's like, I'll stay here. And Richard's like, oh, yeah, great. You're going to sit on your ass. And And Stan's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense for, like, us not to cover all of our bases. If she comes here, I'll be here. Yeah. And he and then, you know, Richard's like, well, good thing for you. I've got heating inside my car. And Stan's like, you can stay. But Richard, not wanting to be the one that stays, uh-huh. of course, says no. No, he's leaves. action oriented, as yes. all good CEOs are. Which is exactly <laughs> what Stan was counting on, because uh-huh. that's exactly what Stan does. He gets into the car and turns on the heat. Uh-huh. Because the weird thing about the desert is... It gets really cold. <laughs> it gets freezing at night. Yeah. So strange. Yeah, so there are the heated seats, but he also has the air conditioning on, too, at one point. The air con, as they say. And then we get a stupid little funny moment. Oh, it's funny because he's sitting in there and then the thing goes off. Ding, ding, Oh, and he has to put his... He has to put his seatbelt on. And I'm like, I get that you're going for comedy here. And it's comedy at this asshole's expense. 
it's not enough to make it laughable at him. Yeah. No, it's just supposed to be a little real. And then on it's top of that. It's just supposed to be a little real moment that he's feeling something that is real and then reality is still going on around him, which is interesting for a movie that is so unconcerned with reality. Yes. But also, we've all been in this situation. What do we do? Do we put the seatbelt on? You're, you you're a bad person. You plug it in behind you. Yeah. <laughs> you plug it in behind you. Like... Are you stupid? Uh-huh. Anyway. It's just easier to put it around you. And then you feel snug and secure like you're getting a hug from your car. <laughs> Sorry, you have to laugh when you're talking about this movie. Otherwise, it'll tear you down into despair. She is still out in the desert. They're looking for her. She hides a couple times when they almost find her. They don't find her. And then she sees Dimitri taking a leak. Uh-huh. And having his gun resting way behind him. Yes, so she got in the river to get away from them, right? And when she pops back up, she sees he's peeing, and the gun is between him and her, and she thinks, I can get to it before he turns around. And she does! Because apparently, this dude pees for five minutes at a time. Well, according to him, he did it, it was purpose. It was all a plan, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I don't have that much urinary control that there, I could just decide to pee for longer. It's very confusing here. You don't know if he's being serious, that it was a, fl- a plan. Or he's just trumping himself up like he's, Exactly. Yeah, There's uh-huh. no way to know. But anyway, she stands there and she's holding the gun. And for a long time, I was like, shoot her! Yeah. Shoot her! <laughs> shoot her! Um, but then she tries, and, and what happens? It's unloaded. It's unloaded. And he's like, do you think I'm I'm stupid? I, I That I would leave a loaded gun lying there for someone else to take and hurt, hurt me with? And then this is when he gets really aggressive, and he becomes sort of a kind of villainous character now. I mean, it, it, let's be clear. He was a villainous character already, but in a different way. In a different sort of passive way. Now it's active villainy. And he starts to, like, drown her putting her down into the water, down into the water, dunking her head and saying like how much smarter he is. This is the way I prefer to hunt. I prefer to have my prey think that I'm its prey. So it comes to me and then I kill it. This worked out perfectly, exactly how I kill animals. And, you know, he's just a horrible person. He's dunking her and dunking her and dunking her. Meanwhile, we keep cutting back to Stan in the SUV. Listening to her music. Listening to her music. Yes, because he has her iPod. And... Eventually, when he pulls her up in the motion, she shink grabs the knife out of his holster. You get the shink. Like, come on, Mommy. <laughs> when and, will that go away? And then when will that go the shank, away? Yeah, well, it'll go away when, when celery and burlap actually, is not a punch sound. When people have actually used the sword and know that it doesn't make that sound every time you touch it. Yeah, uh-huh. But, I mean, so she does that. He dunks her back down. And when he pulls her back up, she turns knife in the eye. And then she stabs him in the other eye, too. Is that what happens? Yeah, okay. she stabs him in both eyes. Because I thought she stabbed him in his left eye. But every other moment, we see that he has the knife in his in his right eye. That's where she pulls it out. She and stabs then, him first. Then she stabs okay, him in so the Okay, so that eye. explains it. I thought that that was a fuck up. No. But, okay. All right. Yeah, he gets stabbed in both eyes. He and runs around in circles. Dead. Yes. And he collapses into the water and she goes back and she yanks the knife out of his eye socket, which is very visceral feeling. And now, now she I have has a motorcycle. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> now, it's, not, it's an ATV that she has. <laughs> and his rifle. Or no, he she has his shotgun. This is where she gets the shotgun. And to be clear, it is a shotgun with a scope. 
because she's not firing pellets, right? She's not firing your traditional shot. She's instead firing slugs. Shotgun slugs are used... How best to describe this? There are a lot of scenarios where you're not allowed to use a scoped rifle, where it's illegal to use a scoped rifle to hunt. I guess to make it fair, I don't know what the logic is there, but you can use a scoped shotgun. And so, in, but the problem is, is a shotgun at distance, it's hard to keep all the pellets clumped up for maximum damage. They spread out over distance. And so instead you use a slug, which is basically like a giant bullet. And it travels much further, like a football field and a half or something like that. And it doesn't scatter, which is which is great, which is why you might use a shotgun in scenarios where you're firing from a distance. That's why he has a scope on a shotgun, for those people wondering. But the engine soon dies. Yep. Apparently, because apparently that was going to happen to him. Which is never a concern for the motorcycle, by the way. The motorcycle never runs out of gas. The SUV runs out of gas once. But that doesn't matter because they've got gas in the back. It's just an excuse for him to stop. Yes. But anyway... So now she has two more dudes to kill. Before she goes after these guys, she has to deal with the fact that she has a fucking branch sticking out of her stomach. Yeah, so now she's on foot. She goes into a cave. She Which first... is nice. I like that she goes into a cave. Yeah, she's got a fire going and you know, she's very resourceful. This girl uh -huh. is very good at survival. She has Dimitri's... Phoenix Mexican beer, which is a super on-the-nose metaphor yep. about how she's a phoenix. It also explains why she should have died, but she's somehow still alive. Yep. Well, uh, the phoenix rise from its own ashes, right? Yes. So, like, that's kind of what it's saying. And that's why she had to light a fire to get free from that branch. That's where she should have died. Yes, movie, we get it. <laughs> yes. And then she ends up realizing that she still has the drugs, and as soon as she takes it, I wrote down, uh-oh, now she's an unreliable narrator. But the movie doesn't does care about that. nothing with it. It does nothing with it, which I'm glad we did. Again, I'm glad we didn't do the unreliable narrator thing, but I'm disappointed we didn't get some cool-ass visuals out of it. She hears music and laughter almost instantly, which is ridiculous. Anyone who's ever taken on hallucinogenic knows that it takes time yes. for it to enter your bloodstream. Now, she almost vomits, which is a totally real thing. That stuff tastes awful as And then as she I realizes know. she needs it. Right. So she realizes she needs it. So she does the smart thing, or <laughs> the druggy thing, yeah. uh, to chew it. Don't uh -huh. try to swallow it because your tongue is going to be like, fuck that. Yeah. So you chew it and then it gets into your bloodstream faster because it goes in through your, mm -hmm. your, your cheeks. It's um, like chewing tobacco. Right. So that makes sense. But it didn't happen that fast. Yeah. Let me just say. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, because she's on peyote, she's now a survivalist expert. <laughs> She takes the, the knife that she used to kill Dimitri. She slices open the beer can. She flattens it out. She puts the knife in the fire and then uses it to cut open the wound a little bit wider to, to make it easy for this branch to come out. But she pulls it out front ways, which the branch tapers at the end, which we know means it's wider at the base, which means it's not an arrowhead or anything like that. Push it out backwards. Don't yank it out further as it tears through your guts with the wider base coming out the front. But this, that's not what the concern is here. She just gets it out. It's yes, it's very impressive. And then she pierces the knife through the can, which she's already prepared, puts that over the fire and then uses that surface to cauterize the wound. Not telling us about the back, though. Yes, 
We find out later that the back is also cauterized, but it doesn't get the cool Phoenix branding that the front got. And as a little, little haha joke, it says Mexican beer to sort of like diffuse the situation that, yes, she has a Phoenix on her stomach now. It also has Mexican beer, which should have been mirrored, but it's not. Because that wouldn't be cool. I think it would be funnier. (laughs) I think it would have been funnier if Mexican beer was in reverse on her stomach. (laughs) It would have been better. It would have been a better joke that the movie was actually trying to go for. Also, why would it have said Mexican beer if it was Mexican beer? Wouldn't it have been cerveza? But it doesn't matter. The movie doesn't care, and that's okay. (laughs) I'm fine with the movie not caring about that. But again, it's just more contribution to the fact that this is all surface level. And then she passes out after she hallucinates the laughter and all that stuff. She passes out and it's nighttime. Yes. Or, and it's going to be daytime. Cut to Stan being awoken. With the body of like a fox or something being, being slammed on the windshield. Which I don't think you would want to do with your meat. I mean, I guess he's not doing it for meat. Yeah, I mean, well, he might be, but like, yeah, you just throw it on there. You toss it around because it's a very manly, masculine thing to do that I killed this. And And then we have all this blood. Yeah, blood everywhere, which is fine because they're going to pay somebody a lot of money to detail the car anyway. (laughs) Probably reupholster it. It's also weird that they're going hunting. Where are they going to put this animal when we find out later that the back of this SUV is full of fuel? (laughs) Good questions. Good questions. Yeah. So he goes out into the water to wash himself up. Stan does. And what pops up? Dimitri does. Just happened to have gone exactly where they are. Yes. And so he freaks out. He runs into the car. He sits down again, which is now like his safe space. He's losing it. And Richard cannot be losing it. He needs to be calm, cool, and collected. And he needs to look at Stan and say, that is not the way to behave. And he just starts, he he yanks Dimitri's body up onto the shore, starts shoving his pockets full of rocks, and then he goes and he gets Stan, and he says, you know, you need to help me drag his body into the water, which they do. Turn off the air conditioning. It's bad for the environment. Uh Uh-huh. What? (laughs) Why would this person give a shit about the environment? And that's the joke, is that he's, he's concerned about things that are, he's surface level, right? Like... But so then they they put Dimitri's body into the water and Stan, like a fucking idiot, says, if only you hadn't pushed her. Yeah. And so Richard punches him in the nose, breaking his nose. Which, good. Good. Just, like, is Stan just a complete idiot? Yes. Yes, he is. Just just no brains He's only known privilege his entire life. And that's the point. He has zero I empathy. love Richard's look when he says it, too. Because Richard isn't looking at him. He's looking at the dead body, and, and Stan says it behind. And Richard just kind of looks up like he's thinking about what his friend just <laughs> said to him. Just like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? But I think that's the point. I think the point is, is that Stan has never had empathy for another human being his entire life. And when he's finally thrust into a scenario that kind of forces him to have empathy, he gets it wrong. <laughs> After he punched him, I wrote down, this movie thinks it's way cooler than it is and thinks it's way funnier than it is. Agreed. She then uh, has some more hallucinations. She dreams that Richard kills her a couple times. She dreams about bugs being all over her. She dreams about Dimitri with his gouged out eyes. But it's just a dream. She wakes up and it's all over. Yep. We then get some Terminator music going on. And 
she's filling up her gun, and so we get some Terminator music. It's very much like What's-Her-Face after she's gone through her transformation. Sarah Connor, now she's all, like, badass, and she's got her gun ready to go, and there's slow-mo, and there's so much spinning, and so much, so many shots of her ass that I'm just like... Yeah, because she's in her underwear now, and only her underwear. But I'm sitting here, I'm like, I thought this was feminist. Well, I think that is. The point is, you can be sexy and badass at the same time, and it doesn't reduce your value as a woman. I think that's the point, is they're trying to make her, they're trying to accentuate what is womanly about her and make that badass. I'm fine with that, but the movie lays it on real thick. It's kind of the opposite of what they do You know what they didn't do Jennifer Terminator? Hewitt, and I still know what you did last summer. You Sexualize know what they they didn't give a shit if she was sexy or not. In fact, I would argue that she's not sexy in but the they, second But one. they make her badassness the sexy thing. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but this movie is trying to say women should be able to have it both ways. And they should. They should be able to be sexy and badass at the same time. I agree. But did we need that after she had been raped? Do we need to be reminded of how sexy she is? Or can we be reminded that she's an awesome human being? Right. But I think also, I think also it's that it's saying that that cannot take that from her. She doesn't now have to be this dour, action-oriented woman as a consequence of her rape. She can still take back her womanliness, and that's okay. But that's the problem, is you can say so many different things so many different ways, and the movie just throws a bunch of shit out there. I would like to hear what the writer-director has to say about all this, but I don't think necessarily because she's a woman that means she automatically must get it right. You know what I mean? Because I'm sure lots of women disagree. Hence, we have a woman on this show who disagrees. <laughs> we get another scene with Richard and Stan where Richard again says we need to split up and Stan's like, I don't think we should split up. You know, they always say in a forest that you should stick together. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just when like... When you're lost in a forest. Because that's a scenario he knows. And of course, of course, Richard's like, are we lost in a fucking forest right now? But his point still stands. His point stands. But <laughs> Stan is a fucking idiot. Like, I can't wrap my mind around how stupid he is. Uh-huh. But yes, Richard's point of, are we stuck in a forest? You're right. We're not. You still shouldn't split up. Yes. But they do. Because Richard makes them. And he's like, call... We'll contact each other when we get out to these points, the halfway point, and when we make it back here. So we're staying in contact. She ends up seeing the flash of Stan's mirror. He's looking at himself and the flash of the light. Right. It shows her where he is. He's like trying to clean himself up and look at his nose. And then he ends up seeing, she ends up seeing him drive off. So she follows him and she's ready to shoot. At oh, some point. Because the SUV does run out of gas, and so he goes yes. to put diesel in it, which, by the way, a diesel vehicle would not make the sounds that this one makes. Diesels are, think about like an 18-wheeler and the sounds of sort of sounds that they make. That's, I mean, diesel engines are going to be various sizes, but they're going to make effectively a sound like that. They're not going to rev like this thing does. Well, also, it's a little unbelievable that she's as far away as she is, and he does drive away for quite some time before he runs out of gas. It's a little unbelievable that she would be able to catch uh -huh. up, but whatever. She does, and she's getting ready to take her shot, but this girl's never shot a shotgun before, mm -hmm. apparently, and so she's not braced for it. Yeah, so it, it knocks her back, 
but she does still hit him in the shoulder. Yes, but she was obviously shooting for the head. But so she falls back completely and she ends up only hitting him in the shoulder. So she immediately thinks, "Uh uh-oh, I've got to run after him. But it's like, no! Get in the car and chase after him? But also keep your fucking distance! Yeah, uh uh-huh. You've got a shotgun. You don't want him to grab it. I've so, learned that from yeah. you. He's he's running away with his rifle and his shoulder bleeding, leaving a trail. And then he notices that that happens. So he takes off his boot and his sock, wraps the sock around the wound to prevent it from bleeding but everywhere. stupidly drops his shoe, letting her know uh, that's why he's no longer le- leaving the abru- blood trail. Yeah. So... But it doesn't matter, because as she's figuring it out, he ends up getting a shot on her. But he only shoots her in the ear, which is also hard to believe, because he's a fucking... Yeah, but you know what? You don't get 100% of your shots perfectly accurate. Especially when you've just been shot yourself. That's a good point. In the shoulder, I might add. Oh, that's right. (laughs) And he has to, like... Isn't that him, like, crying as he's trying to put it up in his Uh his And it's shaking, and... Yeah. Now, granted, he is firing a rifle, which isn't going to have the same kickback as a shotgun will, but still, that's a wound. (laughs) But, yeah, he only shoots her in the ear. Why the ear, man? Which cuts off one of her pink star earrings, which are like an icon of this movie. Yes. But she's still wearing the other one. Yeah. So she knows now that he's running without without shoes and socks. So she ends up breaking the glass from her flashlight as she's running away, which is a great plan. It's a great, great plan. But it has like a 15% chance for success. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a little unbelievable that he <laughs> happens to step on it with his one foot because uh-huh. there's only a tiny bit of glass because it's from right. a, a flashlight. A flashlight. Yeah. But also... What's the stream from Die Hard doesn't seem to think that that's a big deal. So Well, it's a huge it's a huge part of the movie when he's walking across the glass and it fucks up his feet. But he's still able to do all this shit. I guess Stan's just not as manly as Bruce Willis. <laughs> or this is supposed to be a little bit more realistic and life is not Die Hard. And yet he was able to Yes, exactly. Exactly. This movie wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to be hyper realistic but also Hyper unrealistic at the same time. So anyway, now he has a a piece of glass in his foot and he tries digging it out and we just sit there with him as he continues to try to dig into this wound and pull out this shard of glass until finally he successfully does it. And then, like an idiot, he gets back in his car and then tries to start it and it won't start right away, which is weird. First of all, he keeps pumping the quote unquote gas With his wounded foot. You have another foot, dickhead. Use that foot. Oh, and then I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this is a manual transmission. No, it's not. And that pedal he's pumping is the brake. What the fuck is he doing? It's like Coralie Farge or Fargeot or whatever, however you pronounce her name, has never driven a car before. Like, you don't have to be an expert in car stuff to know what the brake and what the gas is. I don't I don't get it. Like maybe maybe it's just simply down to that would have been the pedal that's closest to the camera when filmed from that angle, but no movie in history has ever been faced with this conundrum and not just said, "Oh well, the gas is the gas and I can't change that." It seems weird that she would do that because 
It's f- who cares? It's just a it's just a dumb movie that's supposed to be action packed. Who cares? Well, I care because it takes me out of it. And now I'm not in the moment anymore. Mm-hmm. And I could have been wrapped up in this action packed moment and now I'm not. Now all I can think about is why the fuck is he pumping the brake with his injured foot when he has two of them? It's anyway. She decides it's time to take her stand and she stands him down as he's as he's driving towards her. She's got her gun aimed at him. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends up shooting him. She misses him the first time. He keeps going. She shoots him the second time, doesn't miss the second time, so he ends up missing her. Oh, can we talk about the moment that happened way early on when she first loads the shotgun? Because, of course, we know it's unloaded. That's what Dimitri said. She loads the shotgun, and then she cocks it. So she so she pulls it up and then pulls it back down again, and it just ejects the shell again. And then she learns, oh, that's how it works. And so, like, she actually figures out how a shotgun works, and she doesn't make that error again. I was very proud of this movie for that. I thought that was really cool. And so, yes, she does load multiple in into the shotgun. And, yes, she gets multiple chances. shotguns were only one at a time. No, 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 no. You can absolutely load multiple shells into a shotgun, depending on the shotgun, of course. It was weird because we it felt like we were getting some really cool shots of Stan here, and that bothered me. I was like, why are we getting cool shots of the villain going towards our heroine? Well, because he's, you know, it's the same way you get cool shots of Cruella DeVille driving manically in 101 Dalmatians. It's not supposed to make them seem heroic. It's supposed to make them seem manic. I guess. And a threat, you know? Yeah, so what happens <laughs> is he calls back to Stan, and Stan doesn't answer, and he's like, fuck and he has nothing else to do and so he just goes home and he's made a decision he's he go he's gonna go home he's gonna call the helicopter to come in early again and yeah and then he's gonna go take a shower earlier, earlier we were told that the 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 helicopter was supposed to show up at two and two then o'clock. He, yeah and then he fake calls it but then right. the helicopter never shows up that day because we we can assume he just called and said no don't show up but yes, this is supposed to be the end of their hunting trip, and now it's supposed to come and uh, come and pick them up. But he, yes, he says, come now. It's going to be half an hour. Amazing that he predicted a half an hour when he fake called them, and that turned out to be the real answer when he's actually talking to the guy. Well, he knows how long it takes yeah, I know, it's just to funny. get there. It's just funny to me. And then he goes and he takes a shower, and we get to see his ass again. He will continue to be naked for the rest of this movie, and I am totally fine with that. Yes. Not the least of which is because... He's got a really nice body, but also it's nice to see like the man. A, a, a penis running around? Yeah. <laughs> he gets more naked than she ever does in this movie. Yes. And and he's also very vulnerable and covered in blood at one point. And it's good to see him in this situation being hunted by her, even though the, the scenario does swap places several times at this point. But yes, he thinks he hears something while he's in the shower and he goes investigating and then sees nothing until at the very end he sees she's standing outside the the glass window at the back near the pool the same way that Stan Dimitri were when she first met them. And then she's holding the gun just like they were except she's pointing it right at him. He tries to say something 
And as soon as he tries to talk, she fires the weapon. And it does hit him, but it doesn't kill him. He dodges out of the way and it, and it grazes his stomach or whatever. And he hides behind the couch. And she hides behind a wicker chair. And they start firing at each other. And it's like neither of these things would provide the cover that you need. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when she's firing slugs. Yeah, but in this debacle, he ends up being able to get away. And so he runs, and she runs after him. But he knows the house layout way better than she does, so he runs to a spot where he's going to wait for her to come running through. Yes, you should know that the difference between the living room and then the rest of this house is like a big circle, and they end up chasing each other around this circle for a while until, yes, he stops and waits for her just as she's about to approach. And there's a lot of problems where she does, she like, she doesn't know to do this, but earlier they showed that the peyote made her a survivalist expert. <laughs> she doesn't like slice the pie when she walks through entryways, she goes weapon first around corners and she goes tightly around them instead of swinging wide. Like she makes all the wrong decisions here and it's going to get her in trouble in this exact moment because he has his gun at head level where right when she's about to come around. Now why she stops in the first place, I don't remember. Yeah. She starts going slow again because I think probably because she can't hear him anymore, like stumbling around and slapping the ground with his feet and all that. Check your angles. <laughs> Check your angles, people. Don't just walk out. But anyway, it doesn't happen because she starts to see the blood pooling from under him. We, right. I should point out, the human body has about one and a quarter to one and a half gallons of blood in it. There is way more blood in this movie than would be in the human body. I mean, you know how you how you donate blood and then you get a little lightheaded? That's why they give you snacks? Like It's because just that little bit of blood is a large percentage of the blood in your body. Relatively. And how much blood? They would have been dead long, long before this. But again, the movie doesn't care. It's just supposed to be cool and gory. But yes, it starts to pool up. She sees it and she knows that he's waiting there for her. And so she goes back around the other way. And there's just a lot of this sort of back and forth going around in circles around this place. We didn't mention that before she made herself known, he terrified himself by sitting on the couch and turning the TV on? With his butt? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's this infomercial <laughs> that's playing this entire time for my Scusa, which stands for what again? I don't remember what it was for, but it's just these two obnoxious girls. It's like my sales club USA just or something. Talking about it over and over and over again. Shop Club USA is what it's called. And the website is myscusa.com. <laughs> of the hottest website or shopping club in the U.S., tune in. We have some exciting news for you that's going to help you save thousands of dollars per year. Log on to shopclubusa.com. Or to make it easier, you can also type in MyScusa, M-Y-S-C-U-S-A. It stands for Shop Club USA, MyScusa.com. Both URLs will take you to the same mega online shopping mall. We have thousands of products, and if you sign up for a premier membership, which is only $99 a year, you're going to get products paying pretty much wholesale pricing for these items. Other retailers do not want you to know about ShopClubUSA.com. We bring thousands of products discounted from 30 to 80% off, like tablets, electronics, beauty, 
health, and much, much more. You can sign up for a free membership and get up to 30%. So that just keeps playing over and over again. And I've said already that this movie thinks it's funnier than it is, but this was a pretty funny thing that yeah. they did. Um, it is not a site that exists. I'm very surprised they didn't just buy that URL and put <laughs> something there. Even direct it to this movie's website or something. <laughs> But so because she never comes out, he realizes, okay, she must have figured out that I was waiting for her. So now I've got some time. So what's his solution for his for his wound? He wraps saran wrap around it, which is kind of brilliant. <laughs> it's not the first time you've seen this in a movie, but it's not something that's too common. I mean, of course, it'd be hard to stick because he's coated in blood. It would have been really slippery. But if you can do it fast enough, which he does it, you can get the saran wrap to stick to itself. And that would give you the pressure that you need. And plus it'll allows him to stay nude and exposed. Yes. He ends up getting the drop on her and hits her over the head. Yeah, because he... she slips in the blood. Yes. Making one of these there's laps. so much blood that she <laughs> slips in it. And yeah, he hits her with the butt of the shotgun. And then he puts her up against the wall and he's going to kill her. And he's talking about how women always have to put up a fight. And this is the... The theme of the movie here, they're just going to say it out loud. Right. Women always have to fight back. And that's what's bad about them is the point he's making. But we know the movie's saying that's a good quality of women. Yes. This is a feminist movie. And yes, he, it is. I get it. And these are all good things. And feminism is great. But this movie tries to hit you over the head with it. Yes. And then she's able to get his gun and she him? No, she shoves her hand into where his wound is. That's right. And she's able to get away. She this is where she slips and he grabs her by the by the foot and tries to pull her back. She's able to grab the shotgun and in trying to wrestle it away from her, he grabs it with both hands, but she has it pointing right at his stomach and there's this sort of pause like, "Oh no." And then boom. Shoots him, and he flies back, hits the wall, and then slumps down to the ground. She does not pick up the gun and shoot him in the head, which is what I would have done. Yes. <laughs> yes. But she instead walks over him, and I was like, oh, God, he's going to reach out. But it's going to be one final scare. It doesn't happen. doesn't happen. She walks out into the, the daylight, into this serene, infinity-edged pool, you know, that's supposed to be this great vacation she has. She walks along it, and then she hears the helicopter, and she turns. End of movie. Yes. Revenge. Yes. Big pink letters across the screen. Did you notice that after she gets pushed off the cliff, Jen doesn't have one single line in the rest of the movie? Did not notice that. She is just silent vengeance the rest of the movie. Interesting. Why didn't I notice that? I don't know. Too much action going on. Yeah. The guys are talking enough for everyone. I guess. <laughs> Who knows? So here's lightning the, round. Well, here's the thing. Do you have lightning round stuff? I have one. Thing. Okay. What do you got? I'm pretty fucking certain that the actor who plays Richard has tattoos on his body and they tried to cover it up. Interesting. Because there were several, not just one, several times where I was like, is that a tattoo on his arm or is that dirt? And the more I looked at it, the more I was like, that is a tattoo that they very badly covered up with makeup. And we're hoping that you would think was dirt. I'm looking at a shot right now from... Patrie Linkerover, which is another thing that he was in from 2016. And I can see that he has tattoos on both forearms. So, yes, he does. Why not just have him have it? This is really funny. It looks like this is a comedy. Like, it's a TV show. 
Commissioner Johannes Goebbels has big news for his beloved corps. A camera crew is going to follow him and film Patri Linkerover for the next five months for a new reality TV show. Well, he's an actor. It doesn't mean he's an asshole in real life. No, I just, it's, <laughs> it's interesting to see characters like that, especially like good looking muscular dudes play comedy roles. You know, I love, I love seeing that they have range. <laughs> Who knows if it's any good? I'm just saying it exists. But yeah, I, I noticed it several times and I'm just like, why not just let him have tattoos? Does mm. it matter? Oh, interesting. So it's Belgian. That TV show is Belgian and the language is Dutch, but we know they also sp- speak French in Belgium. So that's really interesting. Okay, that would explain a lot why he has this sort of Dutch name, Janssens or whatever. Okay, I'm happy now. I got that mystery figured out. <laughs> But here's the thing about this movie. We talked about how it is evocative of other exploitation, rape, revenge films. And it's good because most of those films are written and directed by men, right? That this one's written and directed by by a woman. That's good. There are tons of them. Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave, we mentioned. But there's Virgin Spring, I Saw the Devil. A lot of movies that are like this, right? It's good that this one is actually written and directed by a woman. But... What is it that it's saying that is unique, new, any way different from what any of these other movies are saying? Or is it just that it happened to have the good timing of being made in an era where people actually care about the way society treats women now? And should we give the movie credit for that when it's society that's really different? It's just a beneficiary of of having such a film written and directed by a woman, maybe? Like, what is it? The film itself, standing on its own, doesn't really do anything new or unique, different, doesn't have anything interesting to say that hasn't already been said, and what it does say, it slaps you over the head with it. Yep. So what is so special? It seems like people just give this movie credit because it was made in 2017. I don't think, I mean, are people giving it credit? Was it really highly rated? What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, now that you've talked about it, now I'm thinking it's a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Okay, well, what were, what were you going to say? And then tell me what you think now based on what I just said. I probably would have said 63 simply because it is a feminist movie and a lot of people want to like it because it's feminist. And so they, they feel the need to say that it's good and it's pretty. So, you know, those two things going for it is you're, what You're I w- right about that. But you're wrong about that score. Is it way higher? It is 92. Wow. Revenge slices and dices genre tropes. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Working with an exploitation framework while adding a timely, see, a timely, yet never less than viscerally thrilling feminist spin. A Metacritic average of 81. That's nuts. It is nuts. That's nuts. That is incredibly overrated. Way. Like, it's not that this movie is bad. I do not think it's bad. I liked it. I thought it was well made. But again, it's very shallow. It's not doing anything new. It hits you over the head with its point. It's a blunt instrument, basically. (laughs) Why it has a 92%. Well, I guess 92%, again, is the percentage of reviewers that gave an ultimately positive review but 81 percent is the average score that it got on metacritic what do you think it should have what grade would you give it i'll give it a 60 that low huh it's not really entertaining it's you know it's just like i I sit i'm sitting down i know a rape's coming so i'm preparing myself for that once the rape happens then i'm just like okay now i'm gonna watch her get revenge like These movies are not entertaining or fun or scary. 
okay? uh, The only thing I'm going to get out of it is whatever you do to be unique. And Mm -hmm. what did they do to be unique? Well, they made it pretty, okay? And also, yeah, maybe the girl's kind of a badass. So that's what it's getting its points for. It didn't do anything new. It didn't scare me. It didn't, it was not fun to watch. I did not feel that the, the filmmakers were subtle at all. And that bothered me. And so, yeah, 60. You know, that's a good point. That is a, that, that's a really good point. I mean, it's like a meal that tasted, that tasted good, but was ultimately insub- unsubstantial. And I was hungry again an hour later. Like, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Huh. I might not go as low as 60, though. But now, now thinking about it, it feels like 70 is too high. I think I'll go 65. I really don't want to want people to be like this to be our new Return of the Living Dead. I don't think enough people know about it. But who recommended this movie to us? Yeah, after we talk about, you know, how disappointed we were in the movie. Now tell us who shall we shame for recommending. That's not what this is about. Thank you very much for the recommendation. I'm glad we got an opportunity to see this. It is not a bad movie by any stretch. Thank you, Donnie. Yes. Yeah, like, the movie is well made, but that doesn't mean it's a good movie. Like, it doesn't mean that it's interesting or scary or... Right. Etc. Yeah. And, I mean, this is... You're probably going to get a lot of the same shit from us when it comes to these sort of movies. You know, we're not too into them. Honestly... I would say I have more respect for the ones that were made in the 70s because it was anti what was the common culture at the time. Right. And it didn't have the backing of a big cultural movement. Yeah. it Honestly, back then, it was more controversial and a bigger step. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, it's not like we're like, oh, let's watch these movies that are really difficult to watch. We like being scared by movies. We like intense movies. We don't like feeling like shit because of a movie we watch, you know? <laughs> And that's that's why, like, torture porn movies and rape revenge movies are not, like, our wheelhouse. And I think you, hearing us talk about this one might help explain why we feel that way. So anyway, that was... The, the sad fact of it is the rape shouldn't have happened in the first place. You can get excited about the revenge part. Yeah, but you have to get through the rape first to get there. Yes. And they all have the same structure. They all have this structure of rape happens... Maybe even worse. Then the woman survives and has to, like, get prepared in some way, whether it's fixing herself up or getting the tools she needs to get revenge. And then three, she gets revenge. They all follow this structure, and this one didn't do anything new with that. Yes, and it would be interesting to see a movie like this done in a different way, trying different things, different acts, different ideas, different characters. But unfortunately, we always have the same thing. And yes, there is usually a male character who does not participate in what they do, but still gets revenge placed on them because they watched and that's a that's always a p- big part of these movies is that it doesn't matter if you did it or not the fact is you were complacent mm. in it happening and like those are big things but they've all been done yeah. before do you think they're saying something with the order here that even though there's there's somebody who originally committed the act that person is not the final villain that it's the person who was complicit then the person who did it and then the person who tried to ignore it and cover it up that was supposed to protect her Like, that's the escalation of people that deserve revenge. That the person who actually did the act actually falls somewhere in the middle, 
and that the bigger horrible thing are the people that try to cover it up or ignore it. Yeah. That's something the movie has to say, I guess. Yeah. And that's something that was done subtly. Yeah. You had to come to that. It didn't say that partly because she doesn't say anything for the whole movie. That's the other thing. I wish that she had been more of a complete character rather than just a symbol for women. And that flips on a switch. Yeah. She's just a symbol. That sucks. Yeah. Anyway, these were our summer movies. (laughs) (laughs) Fun summertime movies. (laughs) It wasn't nearly as bad as I still know what you did last summer, which was garbage. Yes. It was really bad. Oh, okay. Well, that was this week. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Well, next week is the 4th of July. And there were several movies that I wanted to watch for the 4th of July instead of the one that we're going to watch. But you can't find them anywhere. Interesting. They just don't exist. So we do get to watch the first movie that I wanted us to watch, which is Silver Bullet. Oh, wow. Finally. Yes. We're watching Silver Bullet. Yes. Based on the Stephen King short story. Stephen King werewolf story set around the 4th of July. Uh-huh. Well, hold on. We were going to do a completely different movie, but uh, looking at the description of it, we decided, nope, we're not going to do that one. And maybe someday you'll find out what movie that was going to be, but not this time. Instead, next week we are doing, Kelsey, what are we doing? Where? Where? Like W-E-R-E, where? W-E-R. W-E, is it, is it a foreign language movie? Yes. Okay, so we are doing a different movie, which is also a werewolf movie like Silver Bullet, so it's going to relate in that way. So update your calendars, I guess. Well, that's next week. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every movie we've ever covered in alphabetical order. It's a good way to explore through our backlog to look for something that you might be interested in. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rating and reviewing is a big help to us there. And I cannot stress this enough. Five star written reviews are going to be the biggest help there. Four star is already below our average. It will only hurt us. If you're looking to do that, that's fine. We're not going to stop you from giving us a rating that you believe to be accurate. But those people that think that feel that they can give us a five star review, if you haven't done it already, please do it. It is a huge help. Sharing us with your friends is also a big help. And, of course, listening in the first place is the greatest thing you do for us. Thank you very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? All I know is that this is the worst vacation of my life. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape More than some fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones What's her name again? Nancy? Jane? Julie? Julie. Which I don't know if we'll ever, I mean it'll be forever before we get out of They shed everywhere. They need a lot of running and activity that we cannot provide right now.
Oh, she's so sad. <laughs> I want a husky. I know you do. I'll make it happen, Kelsey. I will. And I know what an, uh, a, a, a muscular ass is like. Anyway, change your topic. <laughs> you can absolutely load multiple uh, cartridges in. Shells. I mean, if she'd ever played the game, what's that game called? The one where you're swimming around? The one you were just playing? Abzu? If you've ever played Abzu. Which Kelsey was just playing. You know not to go into a big open area when you come out from a small little area because a shark can come out of fucking nowhere and eat you. <laughs> this is a very specific experience that Kelsey has. So, <laughs> I know that now. When I'm coming out from a small little area into a big wide open area, I yeah. know that anything can come out from anywhere. Guns and peyote do not mix. My Shop Club USA, where the deals are simply irresistible. The best part about this is that if you didn't watch the movie, there is no joke here. And I love that. 